Greetings. This is your supreme leader. Warning. Spoilers and major plot points are discussed in this episode. Make sure you see the movie before listening. Sir, sorry to interrupt, but look, just like I said, on the end of a string. And here we go, around the world. Into a rock the cradle. You're getting good at this. <sighs> Thanks. Yeah. And uh, we finish with a walk the dog. What's a dog? Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is our resident Star Wars expert, someone desperately trying to let the past die, Paul. Hey Scott, it's great to be back. Welcome back. And also joining us, uh, let's see, I'm holding for Hamish, skinny guy, kind of pasty. Oh, me? <laughs> like, you looking for, looking, looking for Hamish? Because <laughs> I used to be. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it was a movie reference. Don't worry about it. Hey, to which movie? I haven't seen movies. What are movies? Uh, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Here we are. We've waited two years for the follow-up to Disney's debut of their continuation of the Star Wars franchise. Uh, two years ago with The Force Awakens, they set us up with some new characters. They set us up with some mysteries and, and left us on a cliffhanger. You know, we really wanted to know what was going to happen. Now, Rogue One last year was a very nice appetizer in between, but we were now salivating for the second course. And so now, finally, here we are, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. It made its U.S. debut on December 15th, 2017, and was both written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Now, this movie has become very polarizing. Among fans and casual viewers alike, it has received stellar reviews from critics, uh, but very, very scathing reviews from some fans. So, for this entire episode, we are going to break down the film and see what side of the force we find ourselves on. So guys, before we begin, let's briefly talk about our theater-going experiences. Uh, Paul, we'll start with you. Uh, how was it at the theater, seeing the movie? Uh, did you go the first day? Packed house? What, what, what's going on? Yep. Uh, opening night, 7 o'clock, Thursday, the 14th. We had um, 31 people in our group. <laughs> they didn't all show up at the same time. And by the time we got there, we got there at 610 and there were already quite a few people in their seats. I was definitely not saving 30 other seats. No. <laughs> but, yeah, other than the front row, it was pretty much packed. We had a good time. I think you and I talked a little bit about what trailers we saw. Um, I think we had pretty different ones except for Infinity War. Yeah, I thought of more after we talked. There was Rampage starring The Rock. Yeah, I didn't have that one. A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Uh, Infinity Wars, uh, A Quiet Place, um, Jurassic World. I, I know there were a couple more. I didn't keep track. Yeah, it, it was really cool to see Infinity War. I saw it on YouTube, obviously, before, but to see it on the big screen, uh, yeah, I was pretty pretty psyched to see that. Now, uh, Hamish, how about you? What day did you end up going? I went on the 14th, because we got basically a day early before you guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to brag. It's just saying that, you know, we're in the future, and our technology is amazing. Um... <laughs> But I saw this movie uh, because the theater near us is just, it's just one tram ride away. And it's like, you know, four stops because I'm in Melbourne and went to Melbourne Central. 
And so he went there, and the people who came to the screening were your, your atypical people wearing a couple of, you know, Star Wars t-shirts and fashionable choice, questionable things. A certain caliber person. But yeah, we went there, and uh, it was a, a pretty, pretty solidly uh, full showing, I gotta say. You know, I, I did see it a couple of days afterwards with my best mate, and then I saw it this week again with my brother. So I've had a plethora of different experiences. Yeah, so you saw it three times now. Paul, you saw it more than once? Yes, I did go again today. Uh, everyone in my office, well, my other two co-workers took off at 2.30 today, and the theater in town had a 3 o'clock showing. So instead of sticking around, I went. Nice. Yeah, well, if you got that movie pass, I mean, why not? So, uh, with me, I only went once. I only went on the Friday after, you know, the, the opening day. So, the, the day after, the 16th. Uh, I went with Sean. And uh, we actually, I, I mentioned online that I was going. So, Kevin mentioned, oh, you know, I'll, I'll meet you guys there. We went to Heritage Theater in Sandwich, which is a, a beautiful little theater. Kind of hidden away in a, a quiet part of a quiet town, so I figured it wasn't going to be too busy. We were going to a 4.40 showing, and it was actually right at the beginning of a small snowstorm. We were supposed to get a couple inches of snow, so I figured, you know, people are still working, kids are still at school, snow's on the way, it's not going to be that busy. So we went in, and I even told uh, Kevin, just in case, if you're there before us, save us some seats. Uh, Sean and I walked in, we were a little late, it was like... 441 when we parked and uh, Kevin was sitting there with a whole row to himself so it was not even an issue I would say maybe 25 to 30 people were there at most and that's not an indication of this movie by any means or you know uh, certainly in some of the more busier parts of town you know there would probably be more people but like I said this is like a nice little theater and uh, so usually not too busy so yeah that was it that was my one showing in fact, uh, for the podcast, <laughs> Sean and I even had, like, our initial thoughts recorded on the way there, on the way back. Uh, Kevin sat in the car with us for half an hour while we were getting an inch of snow. You know, we were going to post this, and then afterwards, you know, we really started thinking about this movie. We're going back and forth in our heads. Sean was texting me all week going, you know, my, my mind is spinning over this movie. So we decided, let's scrap the initial thoughts. We'll get into it in this episode. Of course, Sean is not joining us today, but I'll hopefully bring some some fresh ideas that uh, he would have brought to the table. Okay, just got out of the movie, and uh, we got a special guest we picked up. Hey, it's Kevin. So, uh, guys, what'd you think? Hi. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. and they'll never heard from again. <laughs> that's what. Sorry, that's what it sounds like. It's like we got this uh, mysterious tape that turned up. They're talking about Star Wars. You know, we did it two years ago. We were like our first thoughts, and it was all because we were so hyped to see just any Star Wars movie that was going to be coming out for the first time in years. But mm. now it's kind of a regular thing. Uh, Paul and I did not end up breaking down the Japanese trailer for Last Jedi, the uh, the TV spots. Uh, we didn't do multiple episodes. We just did basically the teaser, the trailer, and now we're doing this main episode. So keeping it a little simple. But uh, without further ado... Let's let's break down this movie, because there's a lot we have to get to in this film. Uh, we start with our opening crawl. Now, any thoughts on uh, what we see here in the opening crawl? I believe it's words, and I believe it's in English. <laughs> is, is that different from other Star Wars things? Because I remember Star Wars, and it had words, and they're English. Unlike, spe- Rogue, unlike that Rogue One, where it just started. <laughs> what was that about? 
Oh, that was interesting. I didn't mind how that. Dare they, how dare they start a movie without <laughs> the conventions of a Star Wars movie? How dare they? Sorry. No, I liked it. It's 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 to be expected. Come on. Well, or do you mean like the information contained within? Seeing as we just saw the other, like, if you're putting these two things together, we just saw the Force Awakens. Now this. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, just said, okay, you saw the first one, right? Yes. Yeah, so my question was basically, uh, any thoughts on the content of the crawl, not the fact that they decided to uh, continue tradition and use one? Here, I have it up here in front of me. I'll I'll just read it. It says uh, okay. the fir- it's it's a pretty short one actually, considering. Uh, it says, the First Order reigns. Having decimated the Peaceful Republic, Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny, certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds toward the Rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. My thoughts initially, just seeing this, I guess a lot happened since uh, The Force Awakens. You know, here we are seeing the the First Order as kind of like this uprising, small uh, remnant of the Empire, you know, and they're starting to uh, try to take over. Here we are, not too long after, and The First Order reigns is our first sentence. That was kind of yep. surprising to me. I don't know about you guys. I didn't think much about it myself. Who's there to oppose them? They destroyed the Republic. You know, you've got the meager resistance. I think they said, how many? 400? 400 survivors? Something like that. So that's uh, nothing compared to the First Order. They've basically got control of the galaxy again. See, I thought the the resistance was separate from the Republic's military, though. Or are we to suppose that the First Order had just taken over everything and there was no fight back at all? Anywhere except for the resistance. It was separate, but um, but they had the res- they had the support of the republic. I mean, it, they, basically, the meaning of reign. It's like um, uh, the the term is more or less defined like uh, about ruling. It's like when you're describing monarchies and things like that. It's it's like a period of rule, and technically, they've got a lot more forces in comparison to uh, the resistance. So, if you're comparing sizes of battle or teams, yeah, they they. They're huge. It's like, um, you know, if uh, you had a, a team of people fighting another team of people, if I had, like, 38 dudes and, like, 12 other people on the other team, it's like, well, they're going to reign over these people because, technically, there's more of them to them. I think that's what more or less the, the term they're using it for. Okay. I mean, technically, they, they do have a lot more people. And I think that's more in comparison to what we're experiencing, going to experience going further in this movie because, oh. <laughs> yeah, technically... There's a lot more of them than our band of heroes. Yes, yes. There's uh, quite the disparity. Like you said, it gets bigger and bigger as we go along. Uh, mm. We go from here to our opening scene. Very exciting. Uh, we see the Resistance uh, trying to flee, as was mentioned at the end of the crawl. Uh, they they got found, and so they're, they're trying to escape their planet, uh, their rebel base, and they're on the run. And uh, we get this scene where a Dreadnought shows up, this giant, giant uh, Star Destroyer-type vessel, and uh, Poe Dameron goes out in his X-Wing, and we get uh, another example of his communication-based humor, <laughs> like he likes to uh, do in the, the beginning of these movies, it seems. Well, I think, I think it's, it's, again, it's setting up his character, because everyone's different. Because remember the first, uh, in um, uh, the, the Force Awakens, he was literally face-to-face with the main villain, and he's like, 
Who talks first? You talk first? I yes. talk first. He's literally being a, a cocky little, you know, so-and-so compared to the uh, First Order. But I think that's important for him to be, like... I would say they ratcheted up his cockiness a little bit more here, but they needed to do it for the explanation of where he is at the end of this movie. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of people had problems with the humor or attempts at humor throughout the film. Uh, this did not bother me because, you know, like you said, we get it at Force Awakens, that whole you talk, I talk to Kylo Ren. He's doing it again here. It's the same character doing the same type of joke. Uh, kind of breaking what we see is more of the the wooden dialogue of some of these Star Wars movies. That's fine with me. That didn't bother me. If these kinds of lines were being spilled out by, you know, some character like Leia or something, that would be jarring. But the fact that it's Poe Dameron, it plays into his character, that did not bother me that much. Plus, also on top of that... This is just after they blew up um, Starkiller Base, so they're pretty cocky about this. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, if if I did that to some sort of super weapon of my enemy, I was like, ha I blew up the thing you spent so much time, you thought it was really cool? It's gone. So he's still pretty hyped on the heroism of that situation. So uh, we get this, this battle scene now where uh, Leia doesn't want to pursue it, but... Poe is just saying, you know, here we have this chance to take out a Dreadnought. You know, when are we going to get this chance? And kind of defies the orders and calls in these very, very slow bombers in the middle of this battle. So uh, they're getting air support. We also see Poe with some great maneuvers in his X-Wing taking out the uh, the guns on the Dreadnought first. That was a kind of a cool little action scene. Can really see the capabilities of the X-Wing in this. And, uh, yeah, so what'd you think of the scene here with the bombers? I thought this whole opening was a pretty cool scene. My only question is, do Dreadnoughts not have shields? <laughs> yeah. I guess they're so heavily armored and have so many turbo lasers, they don't have enough power to support a shield. But I did like the whole opening sequence for the most part. I didn't care for the humor right off the bat. I, I get it. That is his character. I just don't think it's Star Wars, but it's the new Star Wars. I also had a problem with the uh, the scene where the last bomber drops its bombs. We can get into that later if you want. But no, no, I mean, go right into it, because that's, that's where we are. Well, I watched that again today, and uh, I don't really care how they shot that scene where she's trying to kick the button down, and then she finally is successful, and she watches it fall past her, mm-hmm. and then miraculously is turned around on her belly holding it (laughs) It, it's really not possible Uh, i i like that because the thing is you don't need to see every bit and piece like she's lying on her back have you ever like have you ever rolled over to turn off your phone or grab your phone you can do it pretty quickly i mean if your phone's on a table next to you you kind of roll over in your bed and go oh i can get that i can see that working plus remember this is in slow motion so to do it let's say in the normal speed it's kind of hard to capture that, so I guess that's why it's in slow motion. But also, you need to have her character in this situation to show the difference between, let's say... Because um, whereas Leia says a whole thing about, you know, heroes and leaders, uh, you need to see the small story and the effect that this war has on people. I mean, the whole thing of her dropping the bomb, I feel like it was very much a, a, an ode to Rogue One, where, you know, it's always about the last-ditch last effort and how far... Uh, the Resistance or the Rebellion are going to do and sacrifice to actually get this mission going, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, this plan 
uh, unfortunately was put into a very bad situation because of Poe Dameron. And this whole thing with the setup of him being cocky at the beginning of it, if you match him to the end of it, he's a different person because he had to learn from this mistake, and that's what's happening. Because he's cocky at the beginning of it, you know, to a degree, and that matches who he is. But the thing is, he learns from this mistake because, yeah, when he's uh, defying Leia's orders, he's a great pilot, and he's really great at doing that. But unfortunately, he's not leading. He's just going for heroism. He's going for this heroic position. Yeah. Uh, and that's the problem. He was too focused on being a hero than rather than being focused on, like, the rest of the people. And that's it. I think that's, you know, with uh, the girl literally sacrificing herself to actually push the button and drop the bombs. I mean, the only problem some people have, and it's especially when you use physics, is, like, how are the bombs dropping through space? Um, yes. <laughs> that's literally the only thing I had a problem with. But no, I, I think you needed that small part because you needed to show that there's a certain human cost, and the cost is because of Poe being a little bit too ballsy and, let's say, not paying attention to the odds, which this movie kind of keeps going back and forth over. So this whole situation to take down Dreadnought is is on him. And this is where he's beginning of learning to be uh, an actual leader, you know? One thing I'm going to have to pay attention to when I watch it a third time is once she's successful in dropping the bombs, she's laying there still with her belly on the grate, I believe, and she's holding her necklace. And it really looked like the explosions were happening behind her. They were shooting up the spaceship? Because remember, they shoot the pilot, and then they shoot the rest of the spaceship, and it kind of blows up from the top down. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it was the... I thought it was the explosions from the bombs hitting the dreadnought. No, because like, the explosion's pretty big, and they, it just gets caught up in it. But um, yeah, I think it was the pilot gets killed. That's why she fell down. So obviously the top section is aflame, unfortunately. Because it it's, it's before the... um. The controller drops. There's all that fire that follows yeah. it. So, from her perspective, she's laying down as it's coming down towards her. Okay. Yeah, by that point, they, they had lost so much air support that uh, they were just giant sitting ducks. Yeah. Um, one more point, too, is that, you know, the doors were open on these bombers over the dreadnoughts to allow mm. the bombs to fall through space and on top of the dreadnought. So, you have the whole issue of air and gravity yeah, you know, we saw later on through the movie where these big docking bays have these kind of transparent shields, so yeah. ships can just fly straight in. Um, also, every one of these ships has some sort of artificial gravity, so let's just say there are gravitational fields at play that we don't see constantly in this movie, yeah. so there's another example. So, again, people were really nitpicking a lot of this. Personally, that did not bother me that much. I mean... There's technologies at play that we don't see everywhere in this universe. So here's another mm. example. Okay, so that happens. <laughs> they take out the Dreadnought, you know. They're they're very happy about that. We, we even see uh, where Leia is on the bridge there. You know, a lot of Resistance officers high up are celebrating. Not so much Leia. You know, Leia looks down and here she sees a visual display of the the toll. You know, I was, I was thinking to myself, she's going to say, at what cost? She didn't there, but she did later. Yeah, Poe has this, you know, hubris. He was trying to be a hero, not a leader, as you said, Hamish. And mm. uh, we end up with, really, the fleet being decimated. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing. They stopped a, a dreadnought, which, you know, good for them. But the problem is, it costs people. Uh, and again, this is all on Poe. And I think this is part of the meaty part of the story, where it starts expanding. Because remember, Poe in the first one didn't have much screen time. He was like, ace pilot guy... Mm -hmm. and guy who gave Finn the jacket, and that was basically it, you know? He, he wasn't exactly, you know, fleshed out 
So with this, I think it's more fleshing out because obviously you need something to expand upon his character. And I think this is more or less about him learning to be a leader and learning that being cocky is not going to get you anywhere. Because he does do a change by the end of the movie. You can you can see that there's a a certain he he's not making many jokes by the end of it. You know, yeah. he's not doing the whole like, hey, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing that. And it's like, okay, we should do this. Leia has that whole turnabout. Definitely, we can see there's arcs here. There's certain character arcs. Uh, hmm. Some don't work as well as others, but certainly this is Poe's character arc set up very early because um, Leia demotes him here, and hmm. uh, in this next scene. So we see he's going to go from, uh, you know, being very cocky to uh, really learning about what it is to be a leader rather than being an ace pilot hero, as we know Mm. him to be from the last film. Yeah. And one of the reasons he might not have been fleshed out much in the first movie is because they actually planned on killing him off. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't until later that they said, hey, we figured out a way to keep you around and you survived the TIE fighter crash on Jakku, but they didn't really tell us more about him. Yeah, but I think uh, the next scene was that we get to see Hux being made a fool of, who, you know, he's a, it, I mean, obviously he's got a lot of pressure because he just lost a huge space station and now he has to deal with his boss. <laughs> yes. Who, you know, seems to, sh- you know, the Snoke who appears on um, the holographic screen and then uses his powers to drop him on the floor and spin him around. <laughs> um, you know, again, proving that Snoke has this, you know, crazy ability of the Force or something like that. And, you know, it, it's funny for the fact that, you know, this is where we start seeing that Hux says, you know, we've got them tied to a string, which is an allusion to what's going to happen next, later on. Yeah, that was an interesting thing where he mm. mentioned, you know, we have them on the end of a string. Yeah, we'll get into exactly what that means a little later. And, you know, I had some some thoughts, and I know Sean did as well as we were watching this. So in the midst of the battle that we have here in the open, uh, we also see the character of Finn waking up. Remember, he was in a coma uh, from the end of The Force Awakens. We saw him in the trailer kind of in a pod. We weren't sure exactly uh, what this was. We figured it was kind of like the next generation of the Bacta tank. But we figured he was going to be out for a lot of this movie. We weren't sure how long. We knew that there was going to be a duel against Captain Phasma later from the trailer. But uh, no, right away, Finn wakes up and uh, asks where Ray is. And we kind of get this comedic thing where he's walking around in the, I guess it's a back-to-tank suit. It almost reminded me of Milhouse's mother with the jacuzzi suit on The Simpsons. But yeah, uh, yeah so so what did you guys think about this? Did you think it was like too comedic or what? No, I was okay with it. I was fine with it because it fits in with Finn's character. Because Finn, Finn isn't, let's say, he's not the most... Serious character out of all of them. I mean, he's a little bit less than the other guys. But no, I, I thought it was just, you know, it's a good little bit of levity to show that, you know, he's awake and he's kind of still like, whoa, uh, what? Because you remember, he just, he, he was, he was knocked out in a snowy area and then wakes up in a, in a room. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's pretty jarring for him to go, what? You know, just wake up and walk around. He's like, whoa, what's going on? Because no one was there to go, hey, welcome back, buddy. It's good yeah. to see you. It's, it's most like, you're alone in a room with a bunch of stuff, and he's like, "What?" But no, I think the 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 back to or whatever technology they're using to repair people is pretty good. I mean, it looks like it's been advanced from um, uh, the older days. But yes. I like the fact that you know when Poe is in his spaceship and BB-8's bleeping and blooping at him, he's like, "Finn bag naked what?" <laughs> and he looks over and he sees him walking around discombobulated, and like you know he's pretty hyped to see him. He's like, "Oh, I mean you know it's his mate." And he's like, "You know he's a uh, he's awake again." So. It's, it's cool that, you know, uh, Poe's reaction. Like, Poe's the only one who seems to be 
caring about him because he runs over to him while everyone else is running around. Basically, I mean, this was a scene of chaos. Yeah, they blew up a dreadnought, but they sustained incredible losses. And now I believe they were in the middle of a light speed jump at, at the same time this was happening. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot going on. And uh, fortunately, uh, Finn found a familiar face in Poe. And, uh, you know, but he was more concerned with finding Rey and uh, wondering what exactly happened to her. Mm. Now, speaking about what happened to Rey, we finally go back to where we left off two years ago. Rey is on Luke's island on the planet Octu, this beautiful island. Uh, I believe this was a an Irish location, correct? That's Skellig Michael? Yes. And uh, so we finally got to see Luke getting the lightsaber, taking it from Rey, and this is where he's going to train her to become a Jedi. And not quite. Uh, he just grabs it and comically throws it over his shoulder, uh, almost completely off the cliff. That was a shock. Uh, <laughs> and uh, almost played up for laughs. So what did you guys think when you, when you saw this? I'm still kind of 50-50 on this. I know a lot of other reviewers are too. I understand why he did it. You know, he's walked away from that lifestyle, the Jedi Order. He doesn't want anything to do with it anymore. Would it have been better for him to just drop it on the ground in front of him and walk away rather than comedically and disrespectfully toss it over his shoulder? I'm not sure. I could go either way. Well, when in the whole disrespectful thing, he doesn't know who this woman is. So, when someone presents you with a weapon, which you lost when you lost your hand, also at the same time you found out your father was the guy who's trying to kill you, also, you were there to kill your father, I think it's kind of like, yeah, who are you? I don't care, I'm walking away from this. I think, you know, dropping on the ground in a respectful manner, I don't think it's any of his uh, business at the moment, because again, he has no idea who this girl is. She just walked up without saying anything and hands him a weapon. Throwing it over your shoulder, people are like, oh, it's just a comedic thing. It's like Luke does not have a care in the world about this call to adventure anymore. Yeah. And see, I, I'm like Paul. I'm kind of split in the middle here. I understand why. When he last had this, this was a very dramatic moment in Empire. Uh, this was also his father's weapon, you know, and his father was a central figure in all of this mess, you know, and how we got to this point. The the actual direction of this scene, how he threw it, it's like, it, it almost seemed more frivolous than it really is. That's not to, you know, it, it's, I'm trying to think, you know, if, if Luke actually took it from her, turned around and threw it overhand, like he was pitching it into the water, would that be any better? I don't know. Is there a good way to just discard the lightsaber? I would have appreciated him showing a little more reverence for the weapon of the Jedi and just maybe silently stepping away, like putting it down and walking away. But, you know, the, the scene, it is what it is. It, it tells us right away that he's done with this life and he has no interest in answering any call to, uh, you know, be a hero once again. I think it's more or less, it's, it's all parts of uh, subverting expectations because that's what I keep seeing all the time. Everyone has their own idea about how Luke Skywalker should do this and how it should act and what he should be doing. But the problem is, there are a lot of people with different ideas and their own little fan theories and their own little headcanon. And then if you got those people together, none of the stories are going to line up. Nothing's going to come together and there won't be an ultimate agreement. Yeah. I mean, again, he's been through, like Luke has been through a lot from this point onwards. I mean, it's like, 
you can't just go, oh, you should be acting like you should at the end of, you know, Return of the Jedi. And it's like, well, no. Because personally, I don't act the same way I did ten years ago. There's a lot of love changed. Uh, there's a lot of things that happened to me and a lot of things that have happened to you. And you res- and you treat things in different ways. And that's, I think, with um, Luke and this lightsaber, where it's like, you know, she can see this random girl who's turned up and found him. Uh, she hands him a lightsaber, and he's like, yeah, this is nothing's good. I hate this. I'm done with this. Yeah. And throwing it over your shoulder. Uh, I mean, again, we always have this idea. It's like if you were handed a shoe that you lost years ago, and you lost it because you fell off your bike, because your brother or cousin threw a rock at you. You have bad connotations connected to that situation, but when someone hands you it, it's like, why are you handing this to me? I have moved on from this. I have bad feelings about this. And there can only be bad stuff going forward from here. Because where's the other shoe? I mean, that's that's also the other part of it, too. Um, one shoe? Why not? Um, okay. I, okay. I, think, I, I have so I, many I think more we spent questions. Way too, I think we spent way too much time talking about the whole lightsaber toss thing. But um, I, I still boil it down to man on island, random girl meets man. Man goes, what the heck? Like, he literally spent so much time hiding himself. It's like, how'd you find me? No, totally. I mean, this is a a complete tone setter. I knew right away from this point that whatever J.J. set up, you know, don't be surprised if your expectations uh, are completely turned around. Yeah, we'll we'll get more into it. But uh, yeah, so we see that Luke is just, you know, completely ignoring Rey. She's very persistent. I mean, she traveled all this way. She has nothing to lose at this point. You know, her mission is to recover Luke. And, yeah, he's not not having it. And we get the idea through a montage that this is actually days of waiting. Uh, she is refusing to leave. So from here, uh, she follows him back to his hut. And he's just, you know, closed the door on her and she's not getting anything from him. So she goes back, picks up the lightsaber. And that's when we notice that the X-Wing is, that he had, or he flew all the way here probably years ago, is submerged in water. Yes. It's a, it's a callback. It's a callback and it also kind of... Ties into something we see later. Mm. And then she decides to go to his hut after that, you know, after noticing that, you know, he seems to have left his X-Wing and all these things behind. And then, you know, we got a knock on the door with him falling away his laundry, his white robes, because, again, he's only got one set of white robes. <laughs> got to keep him clean. You know, got to keep him clean for a good day. That's and he right. swapped into his And he swapped into his, into his brown hermit clothes. You know, I don't know what made him change into white robes. Maybe it was because like, he felt you know, a little bit more festive, a little bit more fresh. Um, <laughs> he just cleaned it. And he thought, like, this is pretty good. This is a pretty good look. Just going out there. I'm not going to wear a glove. I'm just going to be myself. Uh, random girl turns up. He's like, oh, man. You ruined my day. And so then he goes back, changes to the brown. You get a knock on the door. And he's like, go away. And then you see the door explode from from, from <laughs> the, the hinges, I guess. And we assume that, oh, it's probably Ray using the Force, and it's not. It's just, you know, a big old mate, Chewie, who did come along for the ride, as we remember from um, Force Awakens. And he's, like, pretty grumpy at him, just yelling at him in his Chewbacca way. And that's where we finally get a connection of two characters from the past. Yeah, and that was a nice thing to see. You know, we, we wanted a little more of that, I think, in the last movie. Um, but mm. finally, Luke does get to interact with, with Chewbacca. And, uh, yeah. you know, kind of sad because there's a mention of the Millennium Falcon as Ray kind of name drops that. And Luke, yeah. you know, is kind of like Falcon. And then uh, kind of puts 
two and two together and, and asks where Han is, you know, so it's kind of a, a sad moment. We never did get that Han Solo, Luke Skywalker reunion uh, that we wanted, but, this, you know, this is this is where it's at. So Luke is kind of kept up to speed now about where his friends have been in the, the last 30 years or so. And we should mention, too, that uh, Rey was able to pick up the lightsaber because it didn't fall all the way down. It did end up in a nest occupied by some porgs. And uh, this was kind of uh, an interesting element of this movie. Uh, Paul and I had some trepidation, some nervousness about uh, the role that porgs would play in this film. (laughs) What, What did you guys think of the porgs in general? In general, I was okay with them. The only thing I could have done without is when the porgs are like flying around the cockpit later (laughs) in the movie when they're maneuvering through the planet of Crate. Yes. You get the little Garfield Um, moment where he's stuck to the window. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I could have done without that. But but all the little scenes on the island of Chewie getting ready to eat one and them (laughs) being sad about that and stuff like that. Uh, That was all right. That got a huge laugh in in my theater. Mm-hmm. No, I I thought the porgs were the most one of the brilliant ways of avoiding digitally editing out puffins. Yes, because that's the that's the problem they have. Because uh, Skellig Michael is a is a, actually a, a sanctuary like reserve, and puffins live there. And you have to think. And the thing is, you can't just go, "Hey, puffin, get em, get out of the way. We're filming here." You can't do that to the animals. And so there's puffins just scattered everywhere. And so, from what I've read, uh, instead of getting rid of them, they decide to go, well, we'll just digitally change them to our own space creatures. Yeah. And so, yeah, it can't. And that's why they look a lot like puffins, because they literally are just puffins that have been re-edited to look like these uh, things, <laughs> because it saved them more time. Because it's, it's a lot easier if you did, you know, use your tracking software to track the object and then you just overlay it with your um, CG model. Sure. Yeah, you just do that, and, you know, it, it gives more color to the place he's living in. Because, again, like, you know, Star Wars is, is a living... Well, the Star Wars universe is a living, breathing world, and, you know, there's creatures everywhere, and so, you know, it just so happens that there's a lot of little porgs or puffin things on there. But, no, I thought it was a really good um, way to um, skitter around that kind of stuff. But I like how a lot of people were worried that they were going to be, like, Ewoks. Yes. I mean, you, but the problem is you have to... There have to be some sort of cutesy things here and there, because, remember, this movie isn't, like, a hardcore adult film. It, it's a general, like, audience kind of film. You know, mm-hmm. kids buy toys. There was a kid in one of the showings I saw dressed as Kylo Ren, you know, with the mask and everything. And now he'll just have to probably get rid of the mask, won't he? <laughs> Which is right. the scene coming up. But then again, this year we also saw Thor lose his hammer. So I don't know how Disney marketing is sitting there yelling at, you know, Taika Waititi and uh, Ryan Johnson going, thanks, guys. We've got a warehouse full of Kylo Ren masks and... Thor hammers, what are we going to do with all of them? Because hmm? he got rid of them. Thanks, guys. Ragnarok spoilers, everybody, I guess. Uh... That's in the trailer. Is it? Yeah, okay. he, yeah right. he loses the hammer in the trailer. Okay, well, and I didn't watch the trailer. He mentions it in the trailer where he's talking to Thor, uh, talking to Hulk, saying, I lost my hammer. That's not my best Chris Hemsworth impression, but, you know. That was spot on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's great. But, you know, that's, that's my only, I think, my only thought was like, wow, two major props or products, <laughs> which Disney cannot sell as much as they want to now, because apparently the character doesn't use it anymore. Oh, he'll get it back. Don't worry about it. There'll be another hammer. But uh, oh, I, yeah. th- I, th- I thought you meant Kylo Ren will get another hammer. Kylo Ren will get another hammer. Thor Maybe will get a mask. Maybe they'll switch, yeah. No, but uh, just <laughs> just going back to the, uh, uh. the the notion of the Porgs, you know, we were worried about, you know, could this be the new Ewoks? Could this be played up to the point of 
you know, to jar jar levels of slapstick humor. Uh, no, they, I think they've learned their lesson there at Lucasfilms. Uh, it wasn't bad at all. They did not play a part in, uh, the final battle. Uh, you know, it wasn't like a little porg happened to have a little bomb in his claws and flew over and dropped it on somebody's head and that, you know, blew up a ship. You know, that would have been... <laughs> You know, something we would have expected out of the prequels. And they tied it in, like you said, into those distant shots where you see them flying around. And it just looked so beautiful. And it looked natural. Like, these these are real things flying around. Turns out they were. We, we got that a few days ago, like you mentioned. They were those puffins. And uh, they tied it into Ray's meditation on the Force. Uh, they represented life and uh, death and violence. And uh, they showed, you know, like the, the broken eggs in the nest. Uh, they, we saw, like, little baby porgs in the nest. Uh, so they use them fine. You know, we, we get a sense of a, an ecosystem where Luke is. And it's more of a world-building thing. And, of course, they need something to sell, you know, for this movie. So, yeah, porgs it is. Paul pinpointed the exact one shot that I was like, okay. Uh, where they kind of did that <laughs> spin there inside a crate. And we get... Uh, the little porg smack in the window. But that was it. I can't complain at all compared to what we've seen in the prequels. Wait, porgs wait a minute. Are fine. Wait, wait. So, wait, wait. You, you completely avoided the space drifting that Poe Dameron did in the beginning of the movie. Poe did it too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, did that, he did that really cool J-turn and just destroyed those two uh, TIE fighters. A little bit too cocky. That didn't bother me. You know, he's got a special X-Wing. It can do special things. Okay, whatever. We have bigger so porks to fry. Uh, and just yeah. one, one, one comment about the that is uh, I was cracking up that scene where Chewie's going to eat the porg and you just see the little porgs like all sad and everyone's cracking up. And I'm like, they just saw like one of their own get roasted by Chewbacca and now he was going to eat it in front of them. And it's like, this is a horror movie for porgs. This is terrible. Chewie's a hungry man. Come on. <laughs> Give him a break. I mean, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he had to fly the Millennium Falcon and get Ray there. Now he's been sitting around waiting for a Ray to do something. So it's like, well, I better eat one of these porks because I'm not getting any other food. Yeah, it's not quite the Life Day Bantha pot roast from the uh, yeah. the holiday special. But anyway. Mm, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. Is that, is that, that's technically canon, right? Uh, I don't think so, fortunately. It's after the scene where, you know, they zoom in on Luke realizing there's something wrong here with Han not being around. Because yeah, Millennium Falcon's here, and no Han. So then we cut to the uh, the uh, new throne room scene, which is a fabulous-designed red room with a yes. black interior. It's fantastic. I think I like how the coordination with the guards that match the scenery. I think the stylus that they bought on board for the First Order, he's really, really knocking it out of the park. He really knows symmetry, <laughs> and he really knows the difference between contrast of color and light. I think he's, he's really on the ball there, whoever his character is. Because we know there's like uh, there's an ironing crew somewhere on board this spaceship, uh, so there's <laughs> yep. probably a good designer as well going, hey guys, uh, Snoke's little uh, private meeting little room? Uh, I designed that. That's right. <laughs> there's a guy buffing the floor, because that floor was really shiny. But anyway, this is yes. the scene where Hux is, I guess, explaining what he means by, we've got them tied in a string, and then you know Snoke's like, yes, awesome. <laughs> Sorry, that's not my best impression of that character, but, you know. So, yeah, you know, this is where, again, repeated that they're on the end of a string. And what could that possibly mean? Uh, also, uh, Kylo Ren is brought in and uh, uh, passing Hux. Hux is, uh, you know, he's all happy because, uh, you know, he, he still has this uh, plan 
to, uh, you know, advance on the resistance yet again. Uh, he was praised by Snoke, so he's all happy. Uh, meanwhile, Kylo Ren, uh, kind of rebuked by Snoke for, uh, you know, letting uh, a girl that's never held a lightsaber before defeat him and all these things he mentions. Kind of uh, some of the fan complaints from The Force Awakens. It was pretty funny to see uh, Snoke bring that up to him. And uh, also mentions to take off that ridiculous mask. You know, he compares him to basically a child pretending to be uh, a scary villain. And so he does end up taking off his uh, trademark mask. Yeah, I mean, this is a cool part. Um, we start to see that tension between master and apprentice this is kind of why going into this movie i thought by the end of it ray would be the new sith apprentice hmm. because snoke would see that she's more powerful and would somehow use her parentage or whatever to turn her and kylo might flip back to the light yeah. because of being rejected by snoke but we definitely see snoke here trying to get more out of Kylo Ren. We know anger leads to the dark side, so he's trying to stoke the fire there a bit and uh, motivate him to be a better student, I guess. Yeah, that's something we, you know, we were wondering so much about that, uh, that you know, the rule of two that uh, Lucas set up in the prequels. So we were going to have the Master and the Apprentice, and now all of a sudden Ray shows up as a candidate based on what they teased us with in the trailer. And it was funny because she was having conversations with Kylo Ren, but the, the backgrounds didn't match up. So we thought, okay, this has to be a misdirect, you know? And uh, we were wondering where Ray fits into this. Would there be some sort of triangle like we saw in, like, Sith, where Palpatine was ready to dispose of Dooku in favor of Anakin? You know, if you find a better apprentice, you upgrade. And we thought for sure this is what was happening here. What I liked about the scene... I mean, for my interpretation, he was obviously generally uh, annoyed that Kylo wasn't being good at being Darth Vader, and that's where it starts changing. Because this movie starts using the idea of icons, legends, and the stories that we have about these icons or legends, because obviously these guys seem to not know who Anakin was prior to this. I mean, they only know about Darth Vader, they only say Darth Vader, they don't go Anakin Skywalker, because that's who he was. But the thing is, it's it's to do the fact that like, he keeps saying, you know, you won't be as good as Darth Vader, or you won't be as not as powerful as Darth Vader. Even in um, uh, Force Awakens, uh, one of the things that Ray picked up from Kylo saying that he won't be as powerful as Darth Vader, and what's happening is that they keep trying to, well, uh, uh, Snoke is trying to keep putting him in uh, into a box, like a predetermined shape, which is. You know, he has the mask, he has the cape, he has the whole aesthetic as Darth Vader, and he says that you know he thought he could make another Darth Vader. And the thing with Kylo is like, well, maybe he doesn't want to do that. Which is represented after he leaves, he smashes the helmet. He smashes yeah. the helmet to kind of be his own, start being his own man. To, let's say, remove himself from the shadow of being Darth Vader. Because that's, I think, part of the story as well, is that we have these ideas and these stories of these icons, and they're bigger than larger than life. But we'll never, we'll never match that. We can't match that. And I think this is where it starts happening, where everything starts changing for him. Uh, especially also readjusting the old mindset of how things should go in a Star Wars movie. Because, like, he destroy destroys the mask. He says it's more or less about him moving on from this, and he starts showing this kind of split between him and you know, Snoke. Snoke has these ideas and thinks he's important, and he has this hubris that he's in control. And that's it. It's all about control. 
He thinks he can control him, and one way of getting back control was destroying the thing that he wants him to be. So that's why he destroys a mask. It's it's Kaloran's way of getting control uh, and destroying the fact that he's not going to be Darth Vader, and he doesn't want to be that. You know, I think that's what's kind of building towards. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting to get a, a villain like this, uh, or at least, you know, we don't really know him to be the main villain yet, but uh, to have somebody so conflicted, uh, someone that's uh, actually being called to the light constantly, and, uh, you know, we get the, the other side of the coin with, with Ray being constantly called to the dark side in this movie. So far, I am really liking what they're doing here. And, uh, again, defying our expectations and what we think, like you said, what we think a Star Wars movie should be. So, uh, yeah, this was uh, very interesting to see Kylo kind of move on, destroy that mask, and uh, see it there crumpled up and smoking like we saw in the trailer. Kind of, It's a good kind of um, matching aesthetic to the Darth Vader mask that he had in the first movie. In um, Force Awakens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so we cut back to the planet Octu on Luke's Island. And I should note for listeners, we're trying to put it back together from our memories in the order it was edited. And there's a lot of jumps. We we jump through time. We jump uh, through all of these uh, different locations. So apologies in advance if we are kind of getting the sequence a little off. But uh, we're trying, you know, like the best we can to uh, present it to you in a way that makes sense uh, as, according to the narrative. But anyway, uh, so next we, we're on Octu, and Rey is still very persistent. She needs Luke to be, you know, the hero, the Jedi Knight, Luke Skywalker, that's going to save the Resistance, be that spark of the Rebellion. And Luke is just refusing every possible time but she's persistent she's following him wherever where you know wherever on that island he goes uh she she follows him throughout his daily routine and we get this montage which was quite interesting and involving uh how luke survives by himself on this island pretty much isolated although we see that there are uh these caretakers these alien caretakers but pretty much luke is self-sufficient and uh we see uh, pole vaulting and fishing, uh, some interesting things there. And we also get a scene of milking that uh, was quite the uh, shocker to uh, my particular audience. Uh, so, guys, what did you think of the uh, the whole daily life montage? I enjoyed it for the most part, except <laughs> the end. <laughs> I, I like that the milk was green, at least. I'm not talking about blue milk in Star Wars. Sure. This wasn't from a banquet. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I thought some of, especially the part where he pole vaults across to the cliff and then uses that as a spear to get a fish. It was pretty cool. No, I like, I like the sequence for the fact that in the beginning of it, she's asking Luke to come back and do these things. And she mentions like, we need Luke Skywalker. And Luke's sitting there and says like, what, you think I'm going to come out with a laser sword? Yeah, you know, it, yeah. It's, it's, that's the original thing they were going to call the lightsabers. But that's it. Like that's that's where he is. He's he doesn't care. But what I found of note is that she says we need Luke Skywalker and says Luke Skywalker, not like hey we need you to come back with us to help us do all these things. She's saying we need Luke Skywalker, as, talking about him as if he's an ideal, like yeah. the version that they expect him to be. And the thing is, like, no, he, he's not that guy anymore. You know, he's like. He's, he's here because of his own reasons, which are illuminated later on. But that's the thing. It's like she's treating him as if he's the be-all and end-all, and that he, just bringing him back is going to make everything good again. And that's the problem. Because 
um, you can't just expect that of somebody when that person is changed. It's like going back to a, an old high school buddy, and he can do really cool backflips, but like, <laughs> you know, this is like 20 years later, and it's like, uh, Dave, can you do a backflip? He's like, no, because I got a slip disc, and I broke my leg, and I have you know emotional issues because I had an ex-wife. You know, it's like, you're expecting him to be exactly the, the version that you want him to be. Like, there's this hyped-up version in his head. But this is not the first time. I mean, um, in The Force Awakens, remember when Rey meets Han Solo for the first time? She's like, what, is this Millennium Falcon? Wait, you're Han Solo? There's this um, uh, story, I guess, she's heard about Han Solo. Like, every character like she meets, or every other character, certain characters in this movie have a, a, a certain... How do I put it? Like, there's a story before meeting them. Like, there's a certain knowledge that we know, like, people know of this person before actually meeting them. Like, you know, with um, Poe Dameron, when he finally meets Holdo, right? He's sitting there and goes like, wait, that's Holdo? Yeah. I thought she'd be different. Like, that's it. Like, there seems every... That's what, one of the themes about this. Everyone has an idea about someone before they actually meet them. They have an yeah. idea about people, uh, and they've heard stories of people. It's always stories. Always these stories about these people, like legends. Finn has it, where he meets Rose, uh, where she's like, oh, wait, you're Finn! And he doesn't, doesn't know how to handle that you know, iconic hero thing, and he's, like, yeah. very um, skeptical. Yeah, Finn uh, Finn had it with Rose, and then Poe did it with um, Holdo, where he's like, that's Holdo. And Ray's done it with uh, Han Solo, where she's like, Han Solo, this is the Millennium Falcon. And he's like, and his reaction was, I think, the best still, where Han Solo's like, this is, like, you're Han Solo. And he's like, I used to be. Which is great, because that kind of mirrors <laughs> what's got happening here. Because, like, he's like, yeah, I used to be that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm this guy now. No, I think that's the, that's the thing. You know, Han was like a realist about the stuff. And that's what it is. Most of the things in this movie is it's always going back to talking about uh, stories and a version of a version that we all perceive of people, you know? Yeah, their reputation precedes them. Uh, all, all of these iconic characters. They're iconic characters to the other characters in the films as well now. Yeah, and I think that's part of the meta-contextual part of the story as well, where we all have this idea that characters should be like this, Han should be always cocky, Leia should be like this, and Luke should be like this. And the fact is, like, well, how about no? Because in real life, that doesn't happen. No one stays the same, everyone changes, and people have different ideas. But it's always about the idea of being a hero, like Poe Dameron in the beginning of it. He's trying to be a hero, and Leia says to him, you know, when he says, like, heroes died out there, and she's like, yeah, heroes, but no leaders. And that's the thing. You can be a hero and you can be a leader. And that's what's kind of this theme about the hero and the idea and the story. And that's what Poe Dameron learns, where it's like being a hero is one thing, but being a leader is a completely other situation. Heroes can become stories, and that's what happens. But, you know, I like the sequence. We get to see that Luke is very capable of living this land. He's not, you know, a, a, a useless person. He's not an old hermit who has no idea what to do about anything. And you see him actually doing farm boy stuff by milking something. Yep, Remember, back, he's 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 a farm, farm boy. boy. Yep, he's a farm boy. <laughs> I I I appreciate the parallel. I, I this scene though with the milking. I when this happened, I was like, no, no, are you kidding me? Come on, let's not forget. Like you, this is him doing mil like milking a cow, a space cow. What do you want to call it? It's funny, and I, it really shows like that he's self sufficient. You know, he's he's not getting these bottles of milk being brought to him by the caretakers of the island. He is no. like really self sufficient, and it, I don't know. It just it was almost beneath the dignity of Luke Skywalker to see him 
you know, become Being a this... Oh, really? Yeah, Being a he's a farm boy! I he's know. A, he, he knows how to drink and milk things and, you know, he... Sure he does. <laughs> that's the thing with Luke Skywalker here. He doesn't care because he doesn't know who this woman is who's just following him around. Remember, he doesn't ask her until later on when they go into the tree. But, like, yeah, he's sitting there and he just drinks it looking right at her. And it's like, this is life. This is what I'm doing. Like, it's literally like, why are you wasting your time watching me? And that's why he's kind of, I think, giving the eye contact. Yeah. Because he's like, hey, I'm drinking milk. Enjoying this? Having fun? It bothered me more in Force Awakens to learn what happened to Han and Leia, what happened to Luke. And it's like, really? I mean, I guess, yeah, I know. If we're going to dig up this franchise, the happily ever after ending is not going to be a happily ever after ending anymore. You know, some hmm. some things will happen. And I never read the books, so I I can't say I participated in that canon as well. But, you know, it's just kind of a bummer to see this. And and I've made my piece. I mean, that's the thing. We finally get to see uh, Luke doing some actual farmhand work. I, I, Which is I liked fine, it. but it was just... And I, I don't know. I'm just so conflicted about some of the scenery uh, in this movie, some of the imagery we get here. But moving on, we <laughs> let's not spend a half an hour talking about the milking scene. Uh, <laughs> all right. So next, the first order emerges from light speed right behind the resistance, and you know this is something that was thought to be impossible. Uh, they tell us this. You know how how could this happen? I don't remember, Paul. Maybe you did. Is did they ever reference? In uh, the original trilogy about how if someone travels through light speed, they can't be tracked? No, but uh, a very interesting thing was brought out. In Rogue One, when Jyn Erso is in the tower going through all the files, she mentions something about hyperspace tracking. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that's that's interesting. See, I like that. That's a very uh, close and caring attention to detail that they have. That's that's really cool. Yeah, because uh, Gareth Edwards mentioned that, and uh, also Gareth Edwards has makes a cameo in this movie, by the way. Yes. Um, which is something else, which is a, a a canon thing, which I have an issue with, but that's just a cameo canon issue. Yeah, uh, they mentioned in the Rogue One where like she's looking through the secret projects on Scarif and finds that yeah, subspace tracking, which you know, people are saying like yeah, but like took them this long to actually get it to work. It's like well, here's the thing, Scarif got destroyed, like yeah, all their secret plans got blown up. So whatever they had, they had to kind of start back from formula and recreate it. Sure. So, you know, I can understand why there's been a, a, a bit of de- a delay there. That's the first time I'm hearing that, and I definitely appreciate it. I love when they uh, they integrate that and really, you know, tie these movies together. This is definitely the same universe, even more so. But, uh, yeah, so that's where we kind of understand the, the light speed tracking is what they meant by having them on the end of a string. You know, it's like having a dog on a leash. The, the dog might try to run away, but once they, you know, use up all the slack in the rope, they're still stuck. So we get this attack now on the resistance by the First Order. Kylo Ren is targeting Leia's ship. I believe this is called the Rattus? Yes. We see, we saw this in the trailer. But we weren't sure if this was going to go exactly as it was shown to us. But yeah, pretty much where Kylo was about to fire, Leia was looking, you know, she could sense that he was nearby. He was had his thumb right on that button there and he ends up not taking the shot. He he just could not do that. You know, again, we, we know that he's being called more to the light. He, he was able to do it against his father and take him out. But when it came time to his mother, uh, he just could not take the shot. However, the shot was taken by other TIE fighters. 
And we'll get this scene next. Let's uh, let's talk about the scene that sucked. Leia into open space. Sorry, I had a break in my uh, my notes here. <laughs> but yeah, this this was a huge polarizing scene uh, where where Not Leia gets me. sucked into the void of space. No, but for fans in general. So uh, yeah, but like yeah. Actually, ahead, wait, let's talk wait. about it. The Leia yeah. scene made sense to me because here's the thing. Why? Why on earth would like since since the Return of the Jedi, Luke tells her that hey, you know, we're both related to this, and you know, we both have the Force in us, and you can use it. What point do you think that he wasn't going to teach her how to do anything? Yeah. You know, it was like, hey, you have a very cool power, sis, and I have it, and you have it, and you know, I can do cool things. All right, catch around. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, come on. He would have taught her something, like, a way to keep herself safe. Like, at least some ab- minor abilities. I mean, they're contacting via the Force. And so I believe he would have said, like, you know, in case of certain situations, or just any situation, he's an ability to keep you alive. Because he cares for his sister, and he would have taught her, you know, an ability to survive, you know, in dire situations. Yes. Um, because, again, he cares for her, and I don't think he would have just gone, like, bye, you figure it out yourself, and then she magically learns how to do it. No, I, I think <laughs> he's taught her how to protect herself, because, again, he's always about saving his friends, and they're very capable people. He knows Han's capable, he knows Leia can be capable, so he's just taught her, you know, something to take care of herself, to tap into the Force. Even though some people kept on going, I don't know why, like, they said, like, oh, she's flying, and it's like, well, no, it's a reverse of the whole Luke raising his spaceship. She's pulling herself towards a spaceship. Sure. And people just, I don't know why. I mean, here's the thing. People kept on making the whole thing like, oh, she's like Mary Poppins, which would be yeah. the second Mary Poppins joke for a Disney movie, thanks to Guidance of the Galaxy, with um, Yandu <laughs> saying, I'm Mary Poppins, yo. That's but also, right. <laughs> you know, which is, this is the same, you know, would be the same, like two jokes in the same movie. Uh, the same franchise, uh, Disney owned franchise, whatever. Yes, call yeah, it. I know what you mean. But um, yeah, you know, people are going, oh, it's polarizing, it's crazy. It's like, well, one, we've just figured out that you know Carlo couldn't pull the trigger, like literally couldn't pull the trigger on killing the, his family. You know, he, he he got rid of Han, but he couldn't do the dirty deed on a uh, his mother. And then you know, obviously, everyone gets sucked out into space, including you know one of our other one of our other favorite heroes. Admiral you know, Akbar, who, who got caught caught in this trap, Ugh. and he couldn't find a way out. I know, but we saw him die there. I mean, a lot of people said, like, oh, he should have had a bigger death. And it's like, do you want every single minor character to have a, a super big, long 15-minute death or something? It's like, he's not important <laughs> to the story. All right, know, he, was there, know, he was there for exposition in the final battle of Return of the Jedi, and it was great. It's good. He was telling us what was happening between the battles and how much time we have and all that kind of stuff. It's great. He's an expositional alien. It was cool. <laughs> but no, no, with uh, Leia using the Force, it's like, well, she has the Force. What wh- what'd you expect to happen? I mean, I can understand if there was an easy out because of Carrie Fisher's you know, untimely death that, you sure. know, they could have easily sucked her out into space and that would be the end of her. But it would have, would have been kind of, I'd say still disrespectful because it wouldn't have been enough, like, there wasn't enough to warrant that, you know? Because I was reading mm-hmm. some other, let's say, tasteful comments about people <laughs> who, and they're saying, oh, Luke should have been doing this and should have been doing that. But I had no problem with Leia if she, you know, if they just cut her out of the movie after she sucked into space. And it's like, 
So wait, you want more of one character, less of another character. But both these characters are the classic genre of characters, but you want more of one. You're being very selective. But no, I, I, I think it made sense because, again, we needed to see something. We needed to see that she learned how to use the Force because I, I don't think in the 30-plus years that she wouldn't have at least learned something. No, in that point, I, I do agree with you. You know, we saw these characters in their 20s. Now we're seeing them in their 60s. Of course, there was some personal growth and perhaps a growth in their powers as well. But, uh, Paul, what, what, what did you think of this sequence? Uh, my first reaction was people immediately die in space. And I guess they don't anymore, according to Disney. You know, we saw Star-Lord and Gamora survive. He's half celestial. You know, She's an alien, but okay. Your blood boils, your eyes blow up, and you die <laughs> in the vacuum of space. But apparently that doesn't happen in the Star Wars universe. So that was my first thought. My second thought was I was sad that Carrie Fisher's gone so that we can't explore her powers further in the third and final installment of this trilogy. Because mm. I had heard that she was going to have a major role in the third film. And after I see her actually use the Force, other than, you know, be telepathically connected with the one she loves. Yeah, the scene was a little weird, but today I didn't mind it as much watching it. I understood that, you know, she was using the Force to pull herself toward the ship. Yeah. You know, the, the look of it was okay. The look of her being sucked out into space was okay. My main thing was the inaccuracy scientifically, but it is not science fiction, <laughs> it's science fantasy. So. Right, right. Yeah. Toying up space wizards and things like that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I first, first saw it, I went, okay, this is what they added to the movie after her, her untimely passing. And I figured uh, when we saw the close-up of Leia's body floating there in space and she started to move a little bit, I thought she was just using her last bit of strength to do something with that beacon. We should mention, too, Leia at this point uh, had already shown that she has some sort of beacon attached to her wrist, I believe. And it was yep. uh, a way for Rey to find them when she's ready to come home. So I thought with her last bit of strength, she was going to do something that was either going to signal Ray or do something that, uh, you know, for Ray's benefit with her last breath or last bit of strength, I should say. I was very shocked to then see her open her eyes and start to, to float towards the ship. Uh, the sequence, it didn't bother me. Some people thought that the, the sequence looked a little out of place. It looked a little goofy, you know, the way it looked. No, it did not bother me. Uh, I just thought it was strange. You know, I thought, well, this is where, you know, Leia is written away from this trilogy. And it's not the case. And I've heard that uh, uh, Ryan Johnson said that uh, that was a thought to have that happen there. But then you would lose the scene where uh, Luke and Leia interact with one another. Hmm. And, uh, you know, it would it would be a shame. You know, you, you, this is the last chance you would have Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher as these characters talking to one another and, and hmm. some other scenes as well. And uh, you would lose that. And they just figured, well, no, you know, they were they were very stuck in uh, where they could write her character. And, and I understand that. I understand that. But uh, it was interesting. And I almost wish and it's it's tough because J.J. Abrams did the first one, Ryan Johnson did the second one. I, I wish we had a scene in Force Awakens where we see us an example of Leia using her powers. I think I mentioned it to one of you guys where 
I, I almost wish that there was a scene in hindsight where she kind of just used the force to like put her coat over her shoulders or something, something very, very <laughs> subtle. Just so we, just so we know, what? like, yeah, just so we would know that like, oh, wait, Leia has kind of a command over the force and she doesn't use it because she's in this role as a general, but maybe there was some training there. Maybe it'll, you know, we'll see it used later in the, in the trilogy. I was kind of hoping for that in hindsight, but it it is what it is. I don't agree with that. Like, <laughs> I, I think it means more. It means more that she only uses it when she really needs to. Yeah. And why is she why is she casually using it to put on coats? She's not Doctor Strange. <laughs> See, uh, well, <laughs> what, okay, is, I, what is that? No, but he's better the thing, than th- uh, no, no. But you needed it because you needed that um, shock value as well. Because you had the whole thing of like, oh, she's dead, and it's like she has a force, and then it makes logical sense. Because why should be like, I'm gonna. Drink something by using the force. I'm gonna bring my shoes. Get myself a sandwich. No, you needed that. You needed the impact of the reveal because then that just makes logical sense for her. Because it's like, oh, oh yeah, she does have the force. Because that's the thing. You just you're thinking of her as a a, a commander up to this point. Because again, mm-hmm. you haven't seen her use it, and then you see her use it, and you're like, oh wait, that make that makes sense. Because again, you forget about the past things. You forget that she's related to Luke. You just kind of think, oh, she's a sister, but you're like. Has the power as well. Yeah, no, I, I thought I, it was, I thought it was a good reveal, but I did I did like for the fact like prior to this with um again back to Poe Dameron and his uh, character development, <laughs> um he was he actually asked uh, Leia, hey can I get like like permission to go in a ship and blow something up? Like he's really <laughs> hyped to blow some something up. Like he thinks yeah. that's the that's the way to do something, you know, and something does get blown up and it's the bridge of the ship, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. Uh, but mm. I, I see it from your side as well. You know, believe me, I, I just, that was a thought that I had. And I think we can all agree we're glad that, you know, Leia didn't uh, eat a space pear and have it flow to her mouth, you know, so. No. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, also, but also put it this way. I mean, like, it's good to have this reveal of, you know, um, Leia having this power. But also, like, we didn't get the reveal of lightning powers from, you know, the Emperor from the, until, like, the Return of the Jedi. We didn't even know True. he even had that. You know, yeah. it's just like, oh, wait, he has lightning powers now? I mean, it's just, there there they are. Yeah. He has them. I mean, Snoke used it in um in the part with uh, uh, Kylo Ren. Like, you know, does a quick shock and drops him to the ground. You know, and that's the thing. It's just like, we didn't need to precursor that. It's just, we assume that every um, evil lord man with a robe, in this case a gold one, which is, you know, his hubris. I guess he thought, you know, black was out of season and thought, <laughs> yeah, gold's a, good, gold's a good color for me, guys. Well, we'll, like get, we'll get into Snoke shortly. Can I just bring up one other thing with this? Again, I'm wondering how shields work, because Snoke's ship it, is peppering the Resistance capital ship. It's um, what know. Admiral Akbar says. He says, um, okay. he, Admiral Akbar, because they're flying away, he says, uh, move all the shields to the rear. Oh, okay, I didn't catch mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Because that's why, um, I know it's because, again, I'm, you're, I'm always listening to Admiral Akbar. Uh, it's one of the things he says, like, he says, reverse all shield power to the rear. And then that's why the front got blown up, while the back is protected. Yeah, and it was funny, too. You know, Paul was just uh, here where, where I live for a visit uh, not too long ago, and I had held off watching Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 until, you know, he came to visit, and we watched it together for the first time. And, uh, yeah, I just had flashbacks of Yondu in that movie. I, I thought it was funny, you know, I think a lot of people made that connection to Guardians, but uh, I was surprised to uh, see things take a different turn. Like I said, very polarizing. Some fans mm-hmm. loved it, some fans hated it. I saw some fans comment on it being uh, at Jar Jar levels of uh, crazy, and I, you know, I don't see it that way. 
again, it didn't bother me, but I, I was just thankful that we had Leia use the Force in one of these movies. So, again, it is what it is. Jo- the Jar Jar level... I feel like the Jar Jar level ratio seems to be very um, convenient for anyone who wants to say, oh, it's very much like Jar Jar. There was a scene where Jar Jar got kicked in the balls by a robot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, nothing- I d- that, that didn't happen in this movie, did it? No, there's nothing as bad as the prequels in this in this film. I should say that. I, I didn't see anything. I mean, the milk scene was like goofy, and I, but I I would not even compare that to the prequels. But also, here's the thing, and this is gives me uh, this movie actually gives me a different respect for um, Phantom Menace. Everyone keeps going like, oh, the Jar Jar was a goofy character. It's like, yeah, but um, Jar Jar was a motion capture CG character. What's Andy Serkis doing again? Andy Serkis is playing a motion capture CG character. It's not a goofy character. I mean, it's a it's a serious version of this character. But like, we we saw it in the Phantom Menace, and now it's been upgraded to where it is now. And we actually, and he's actually got dialogue talking back and forth and inter- interacting. He's actually a, a an, an integral part to the story. I know. I get I get a different respect for the Phantom Menace because it's like Phantom Menace. Yeah, you could say was very dry. Yes, and very goofy. But you know, there are certain things in this movie, especially for the fact that um Luke references the past and what the Jedi were, like, with the hubris, and it's like, oh, well, that's why the movies are dry. And because those Jedis are very boring, because they think, we've got everything under lock and key. We know what we're doing. You know, yeah, no one's, sure. no one's going to ruin us. Our little fancy palace with our books and our training droids and Yoda with the two different faces from a puppet then for some reason, CGI. We don't explain that. And have you seen his wife? <laughs> okay, anyway. Yoda's wife. I, I want to know what happened to that. What is that story? I don't think Yaddle was his wife. Right. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so yeah, after after Leia is brought in and she's kind of attended to by the medical staff, her beacon falls off her wrist and it's picked up by Finn uh, very conveniently, you know, and he knows what it is, evidently. He knows that it is the beacon to, uh, you know, for Ray to get home. And Finn decides that what he's going to do is take an escape pod and fly far, far away so that when Ray does decide to come back to meet up with them, she's not in the middle of this, you know, attack by the First Order, that she's going to end up finding Finn on a distant planet and and be safe. And and I can understand where he's coming from. Again, this is kind of Finn's arc. I think it's him trying to find his identity. Because remember, he's only, it was only called FN218, but then Poe called him Finn, and now he's got a new name, and he's working for, um, uh, the Resistance. He's yeah. basically gone from fighting to fighting, and he was part of the Starkiller base explosion and destruction of that, and now he's got this an actual name for himself. Like, you know, he's actually got a story yeah. behind his name. Like, he's Finn. He's no longer FN218, which later on uh, Phasma calls him. He actually now has a certain prestige and a certain history and a certain heroic value to Two, his life. 2187. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I must be insulting the other guy then. He's, but, he's probably sitting. Uh, he's I, probably listening to this podcast, going, "Finally, my name." <laughs> so Finn now takes one of these escape pods. He goes into you know the the bowels of the ship where he's uh, about to really do something that seems like a coward. You know, fleeing, even though he has good intentions behind it. He's not just trying to save himself. He has Ray in mind as well. And uh, this is where we meet the character of Rose Tycho, I believe her name is, who is kind of a socially awkward nerd of the ship, uh, and she knows who Finn is. She's actually a big fan, as we'll see. Well, also, she's a sister of the, the bomber. 
Yeah, we, we know that they're sisters uh, by the the gold medallion that they're wearing. Uh, Hasty and Smelt, I think we learn it's made out of. It's a type of gold. It, it almost is like uh, two halves of uh, a circle or a yin-yang symbol almost. Yeah, kind of um, like Double Dragon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a good. Re- that's, that that reference still plays, right? Oh yeah, it's a great movie too. We should go over it for the. Uh... No. <laughs> okay. No, right. no, thank you. I'm kidding. We, anyway. we can talk about the we can talk about the game, but not that movie, please. <laughs> so anyway, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, Rose is down there just with her stun gun, taking out anybody that tries to flee. Uh, she mentions that she's done it already a couple of times. And uh, this is where Finn kind of pretends like that, you know, he wasn't really trying to flee. But, of course, his bag is already in there and everything. And she stuns him. You know, even though she's a fan of him, she has her orders. And that's what she's going to do. Well, the thing is, he's he's there and she's moping because, you know, her her sister is dead. Uh, and then sees, like, Finn, who's a hero. You know, he, he represents good heroics. Yeah. Great, great motivation. And she's like, oh, my God, you're, you're Finn. You know, it's it's literally a perfect time for her because you know it's this hero worship we have throughout this entire film. These icons, and that's her, and she mentions that um she heard about him. She also says like you know her sister was talking about Finn, saying people like him don't turn away, they don't turn back. You know, they're the people that we should inspire to be. This is me paraphrasing. I'm sorry. No. But um yeah, she said like again she heard about Finn before meeting him. She heard the story about Finn and what he did, and then she actually meets Finn, and then. Finn's like, oh, yeah. Remember, uh, in the first movie, in um, Force Awakens, he says, I'm a big deal in the Resistance. And now he actually is a big deal in the Resistance. Yes. Which is great, because now he actually has that name. But also, the thing is, he doesn't know how to handle being a hero or an icon. Because he's, she's like, wow, you're Finn, you, you did this. And he's like, yeah, that's me. And he's like, wow, you're like a you know, hero. And, and she tells a story. And then he's like, well, yeah, yes, I am. And then like, there's an awkward moment where she doesn't know what to do. And he's like, May the force be with you. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like that's what you're supposed to do as a hero in Star Wars. You say, "May the force be with you," and she's like, she's gushing a little bit. She's like, "Oh my god!" You know, like, you know, someone, a hero, said the thing to me. Ah, oh, I feel so cool. And yeah. then it starts, you know, she starts putting the pieces together after that initial thing where she realized that, you know, from again, it's it's an interpretation of what she's seeing that Finn is escaping in an escape pod to leave, and he's supposed to be the hero, right? He's supposed to be the guy who helped destroy Starkiller base and here he is bailing when things are pretty hard so she's like wait what like she has this complete change because later on in the movie when they're on um the the Snoke's personal craft I've got the exact name of it I'm sorry she's he's talking about all right let's do this and let's go to escape pods and she's like well you know what those are it's a pretty good burn it's a pretty good burn I gotta say (laughs) but I mean this is again the second time Finn would look like he's escaping from a, a battle yeah, you know, like yeah. in um, uh, Force Awakens, he's uh, first uh, first order wants to escape. He's resistance. He's going to an escape pod, and so you know he he does know how to handle being that version of Finn, you know, and he does screw it up majorly because you know it's interpreted that he's about to bail on them, and she's well shocks him. But um, yeah, it's interesting this uh, the idea of hero worship and meeting your idols. Yeah, I liked when he was like, may the force be with you. It was always reminding me of like a baseball player signing his autograph with best wishes, you know, you know just, <laughs> just kind of an empty thing that, that they would say to uh, an yeah. adoring fan. Now we go back to Ray here. Uh, we, we also saw in a previous scene that we didn't mention where uh, Ray just kind of on following Luke around notices a tree kind of in the fog on one of the hillsides and it almost calls out to her. And, uh, you know, she goes in for a look 
herself. And th th we saw this the inside of this tree in the trailer. We know that uh, it has some significance to the Jedi. We weren't sure exactly how, but we knew that there were uh, texts related to, uh, you know, the ways of the Jedi within. We we speculated so much, what would these books be? You know, could they be uh, the, the Journal of the Wills that, that would have tied it more to Rogue One and, and the origins of the Jedi and uh, the actual narrative of the whole Star Wars saga, you know, as Lucas originally conceived? Or could it also be Obi-Wan's journal that they were exploring in the comic books? I was kind of disappointed here where we don't really know what these books are. Uh, what did you guys think about this little library here that Luke preserved? Yeah, um, over and over again in this movie, things that we looked forward to seeing, learning, whatever, are like cast aside or we're not given a satisfying answer to. You know, we saw these books in the trailer, even the teaser, you know, how many months ago? Oh, we're going to find something out about the Jedi that we never knew before. No. <laughs> he, he, he points to him, he talks to him, he tries to burn him, but Ray saves him. But we never actually get into anything, and Yoda kind of dismisses them later on, saying that they weren't exciting, and Ray knows everything about the Force that they say anyway, so... It was kind of a letdown. It was. <laughs> really? I was yeah, I was personally a little disappointed oh, by on. this. I was. Come you know, we Sorry. Wait, wait. Hold on. I know we can be disappointed. Sorry. It's just ridiculous. Because remember my favorite part of Star Wars? Do you remember the part where they read a book? <laughs> it, I didn't need a scene of them sitting and studying. But mm. what I would have appreciated is... Uh, Luke explaining what, like, taking out one book in particular, this is this. This is, you know, a little, maybe a little backstory on the Jedi from their origins. We thought so much that we were going to see uh, a call to the dark, a call to the light, but we thought we were going to get the introduction of the gray. We really thought that this was going to be the theme here, that there would be something in the middle, maybe not call it a gray Jedi or the gray side of the force, but there would be some balance, you know, they really emphasize balance and the force being that balance in this movie. We just don't see kind of the application of it in Rey's Jedi training. And that was a little disappointing. Here's the thing. The th thing is, he mentions the sacred Jedi text. I was like, okay, cool. You know, the prequels, how they had a Jedi temple and they had all his books. Yeah, those are all kind of gone, but we already know what the Jedis are. I mean, we don't needs much more information than what we already have from the established canon. But I mean, do we, though? No, we don't. We <laughs> no, do but not. I mean, do, do we really know what they are? Because we, Paul and I have talked about this in previous episodes where we talked about the teaser and the trailer. Mm. Uh, we talked a lot about these books. You know, in, in Attack of the Clones, we saw the Jedi archives. They were these glowing blue shelves, the, some sort of archives, whether they were digitized or whatever. These were physical books. These were paper. These were to precede that whole era that we saw in the prequels. This was going to be the true essence of the Jedi. Luke even mentions it in this upcoming scene here about the hubris of the Jedi. Uh, ties into what Mace Windu and Yoda were talking about, how they were blinded. Uh, they were so, you know, built up and, and all about themselves at that point that they were blinded to the Sith. You know, this wasn't really the way the Jedi were supposed to be. In this movie, we thought this was how we were going to see the, the true nature of the Jedi way. Yeah, but we kind of do. It's, I mean, that's what Luke's trying to do. He's trying to end this whole thing. But the thing with the books, it's just like, well, we don't really need him to sit around reading a book for a long period of time. Plus, also, keep in context, he doesn't know who this girl is. 
She could be a Sith. He could, she could be something else. And so why would he start going, hey, let me spill you all the details of our secret little, uh, little information and stuff like that. I mean, they're just old books. Uh, but he I remember... He, it, though. I know, but that's the thing. He, he, he's seeing a girl who just seems to be drawn to this thing. He has, doesn't know her name yet, doesn't know where she came from. This is the whole setup for this. He's like, he's trying to work out who she is. You know, because remember, he's very, he's very close to all this stuff. He's not going to start opening a book and start reading these, this information to a random, will he? You know, it's like, I, it, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. Why would he open a book and start going, hey, let me tell you about this religion. Um, you know, it seems, it seems like, and it, it doesn't really fit. Because again, he's still trying to work out who this person is before he can start trusting who they are. I remember he doesn't start training to her later on, you know, until he actually yeah. has a bit of a breakthrough and goes, all right, we'll do this, but I'm going to explain to you why. And that's it. Like, yeah, that's why he has a whole conversation where he starts, you know, in a way, trusting the idea of destiny or predetermined destiny and this idea of you have to come from some place because he starts asking like you know after you know looking at the books he says like who are you where do you come from these kind of things and like the, the like he doesn't know you know who she is and she mentions Jakku and he's like you know he's like what is it she says like she's nowhere. from nowhere and he's, I'm yeah. from nowhere and he's like nobody's from nowhere and he's like I'm from Jakku and he's like well that's pretty much nowhere <laughs> you know again like again it's it's like Han with um, Jakku where it's just like Jakku really yeah, you because know, they all seem to think it's a trash planet, like a terrible, junky planet that no one should really visit. But um, I think that it's it's again it's the subversion of expectation. I think that's it. Because remember, he's asking her who you are and what planet you're from. If she said like, "Oh, I'm you know Ray Kenobi and I'm from I don't know, <laughs> Bespin," it's like, "Wow, I know those places." Sure. Out of all of all the places in the galaxy, you have to be this person. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like. You know, it's it's subversion of this ex- expectation and these um, antiquated thoughts that we have of what Star Wars should be. I don't want to jump ahead, but one of the things that about this whole like time on the island, training, teaching, that disappointed me was I really thought there was going to be a deep, powerful reason why he thinks the Jedi Order has to end. Yeah, and from two two viewings of it now, I get that the Jedi felt the Force belonged to them. During the height of their power, they let Palpatine take over. He No, just not and, to interrupt you, but I, I that because that was another point I was going to bring out next. He mentions Darth Sidious by name, which I found that yeah. very interesting. But go, I'm sorry, go ahead. And that a Jedi was responsible for training the person that became Darth Vader. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that stuff we already know. Yeah, but she doesn't know it. But is that enough reason to say that's that's why the Jedi needs to end? No, I think it's it's to do the fact with um, Luke seeing a kind of a secular pattern happening because Darth Vader is a Skywalker, Ben is technically part of the Skywalker, and that's the thing. It's 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 the idea of that that's always going to happen. It's this cycle that keeps happening and happening. You know, where's the chosen one or someone who's really powerful gets trained by the Jedi, then he becomes evil, then we get this whole cycle again and again. And I think that's part of it. They's realizing where it's like there's a cycle that keeps happening, and there's you know there's no way to escape it. But if you destroy the Jedi, then that's the end of it. That should stop it, right? That should be the way things work. No more Jedi. No more of this evil stuff, right? And that's what he's assuming. That's what his assumption is. It's like, if I stop the Jedi, this will happen. You know, he thinks that... Again, I think that's what he's he's basically looking at. Because that's why he mentions Darth Vader and the the training. I mean, he tried to train Ben, and then that went bad. And so it's like, 
it keeps repeating, keeps going around in circles. We keep giving masters, or was it, um, masters training apprentices, and then the apprentices turn to evil. This kind of cycle that keeps happening and happening and happening. But I, I'm like with Paul on that, where I really thought that the reason wasn't going to be something that we've known throughout all of these movies, but that it was something within these books. It was some fundamental problem with how the Jedi were known, you know, like uh, with, with like at the the time of the prequels, that there was something wrong there because it was even set up, you know, that they were just blinded to the the Sith coming about and taking power. That there was something fundamentally wrong with how they were approaching the Force, and now Luke being the last Jedi, the last one, Ray was going to be the first of something new. And that was really, again, it was our expectation. And give Ryan Johnson credit. He defied almost every expectation. And uh, some in good ways and some I found in disappointing ways. I think it's the the fact that there's always, like, he's holding on, Luke is holding on to the past. I mean, I don't think it's anything from the books. But, like, you know, it's like what Yoda says later on where, you know, being a master is is something that can will be overcome. I'm trying to remember the exact wording. Because a master is like you can be the master, but then there's always going to be someone who's going to be better than you. You know that's how you become mm-hmm. a master. You become better than the master, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. And but to become better than the master, you have to change your way of thinking. You have to adapt. You know, adopt and adapt and improve and you know become better than what the past was. And that's the thing. Like Luke is, you know, holding on to these Jedi texts, you know, which are of the past. Uh, but the thing is, things have changed. You know, things have moved on. The Je- uh, Jedi and the power of the Force has changed. It's it's altered. I mean, even Kylo Ren wants something different than, you know, Sith, Jedi, Masters, Rebellion. And that's what he says later on to Rey, where it's like, you know, I want to, you know, change this. I want, you know, I want you to be with me. I mean, we don't know if that's good or evil. That's a thing. And I think that's part of it, too. It's it's like the idea that you're being, you, you think there's a certain way things should go and a way it should be. But it's not. It's not like that. It's it's this fear that whoever comes next is going to be terrible or screw things up for you, something like that, along those lines. And you actually, and if you keep living in that kind of fear that something bad's going to happen, it's like, well, how can you trust anybody? How can you let these things grow? And how can you have hope? You have to you have to trust people and have hope that things are going to change. He's also calling out Obi Wan. How can you call out Obi Wan like <laughs> you know someone we hold so dear? And yeah, with um, with Ray, Ray doesn't know what heck she's got. No, she doesn't know what it is. Like she, she has the power, but has no idea what it's called beyond being like you know, like something like the Force. You know, even her description of the Force is you know very basic. But that's it. She doesn't know what it is, and I think that's the interesting part where it starts, you know, questioning like you know, you're putting a label to what this power is, and this is what the Jedi call it, the Force, and you know, generally it's called the Force. Um, But she doesn't know what it is. She she used it to help her friends, and she did these things. You know, I I find it interesting like that, where it's like, yeah, there could be a lot of other people who have this. Like, it couldn't just be Rey, maybe it's other people, which, it kind of is. Yes, Um, we'll see that. We'll we'll talk about it later. Alright, now, just moving on uh, for the sake of time here, uh, so we get back to the resistance and Leia is indisposed. Now she is in a coma and uh, Vice Admiral Holdo is promoted. Uh, this is Laura Dern's character, the uh, the lady with the purple hair, which some people had a problem with that. It's like Star Wars. It doesn't bother me at all. Um, mm. it, she was promoted. She orders the resistance to continue forward despite the fact that they are being pursued 
by the the first order but they're just out of firing range so she's saying just stay you know stay ahead steer straight stay the course and just stay out of firing range despite the fact that the fuel situation is critical uh they are almost completely out of fuel poe is very upset with this decision uh, by Holdo, mm. very much so, very, very vocal, and she's not afraid to put him in his place. You know, weren't you just demoted? You know, I think she even calls him, uh, what was his lower rank now? It wasn't captain. No, he is a captain. He was a commander. That's what it was. Yeah, she yeah. called him captain. It is captain, right? Yeah. You know, Laura Dern was fine as the character, but as the character was written, I, I had a problem with this. You know, Sean and I, as we talked afterwards, we kind of had the same thought. Uh, all this talk about the resistance uh, being on the end of a string, that no matter where the resistance went, the First Order was going to find them. And it was so strange. How is this possible? Now we see Leia is gone, or, you know, out of the picture for the time being. Holdo is promoted. And Poe, who we know as our hero, uh, has a problem with her. You know, something's something's not right about her decisions. So Sean and I, we, ha- we kind of had the same thought independently. She's a traitor. Yeah. We thought that she was going to be a traitor and she's somehow signaling them or giving them their, uh, you know, giving the first order coordinates for the resistance. And I, I was almost kind of disappointed. I'm like, wow, they're really telegraphing that she's going to be a, a traitor. And, uh, she wasn't. Uh, well, what did you guys think about this character of vice Admiral Holdo? I really liked her and I really liked the conflict throughout much of the movie between her and Poe, the power struggle uh, who's got the better plan of how to survive this situation with the First Order? I really liked the tension there. And like you said, I didn't really think too much about her being a traitor, but I did appreciate the dialogue and the back and forth there and her character, and I wish that she had lasted longer. Yeah, and just uh, on the the point of a, a traitor. Sean even went a little further with his theory. He thought that they should have had Captain Phasma on the resistance ship without her, uh, you know, chrome uniform because uh, no one would know what she looks like anyway. I thought that was kind of a, a funny thought that Phasma would be <laughs> running around on the resistance ship, you know, giving away their location every, at every turn. But, like, but Hamish, I, what, what did you think? Okay, again, talking about stories, uh, because all the commanders are dead and they've then they got Holdo uh, and then when they present Holdo, but before that, Poe looks like he's leaning forward as if, and the, it seems like, yeah, they're going to make him the new leader, right? Yes, and yes. He, and he seems to be leaning forward as if, like, you know, it's going to be him, but it's like, it's not him, and he seems slightly disappointed, but the thing is, it's about, like, he's too cocky, it doesn't, he, he's not supposed, this is not the time, like, he's not right. the right guy for the job right now, he's, he's literally put everyone in jeopardy beforehand, but no, when he meets Holdo, again, he does, it's the whole thing about stories, where he leans over to the alien, who looks like the brother of uh, Eloasti, I'd like to say, <laughs> Because same sort of alien, but doesn't speak English. But he right. leans over, like he says, "That's Admiral Holdo from the Battle of I cannot remember the battle, but you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, I'll remember a it later famous on. battle. Yeah, a famous battle. But he's like, that's Holdo, and he's like, huh? She looked different, and that's it. Like, there's that story. Like, he knows Holdo. He isn't. He probably has no problems with who Holdo is and what she does. And then when he meets her, he's like, oh, uh, that's who she is. Oh, it's this person. And he's again probably being cocky, going, yeah, I can talk to her about this. I can sort sort things out. But the way yeah, it's, it's presented, it's like, we've already seen Poe do some heroic stuff, and I think this is where we start, as the audience, having to question certain things, certain elements of what Poe's all about, especially midway through the movie, when you realize that his plan is bad. And it's up to us to actually be, you know, it's that stripping away of the hero, and learning that you're not 
even though you're the hero, you can't be right all the time. What you're doing is probably wrong. But that's the thing. We have this, the antiquated thought that every hero in Star Wars is the hero, and they're doing the right thing all the time. And with him, he's like, you know, goes to Vice Admiral Holdo, and, you know, starts going, wait, what, we're still doing this? We're still doing this plan? And, he, you know, he seems to have this kind of attitude uh, towards her, and she's playing it coolly and treating him as she would. She's like, you know, knows who he is, knows he's a flyboy, knows that, you know, there was, you know, they lost a bunch of people because of his dreadnought plan. Kind of pushes him to the side, like, yeah, we'll talk to you when we need you. Because we'll, he, cause here's the thing, everyone's saying, why didn't she just tell him the plan? He'd be cool with it. And it's like, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> he would not be cool with the plan. I mean, he finds out the plan later on, yeah. and then he instantly mutinies. He would if she if they told if she told him the plan at that moment he would have already planned a mutiny and then everything would have been screwed up. Uh, I see. I, this is again. This is another point of the movie that's very. I was going to say polarizing, but it's not because that would mean that there were a lot of people that were positive about this scene. I've seen a lot of negative things about this. Uh, that she kind of had this plan the whole time. Uh, you know, his whole problem was these were defenseless pods. They weren't scanning for these pods, and the whole point of fleeing on pods wasn't just to flee into space, like, let's get out of here. Mm. It was actually to go to a base below and fight. I think if she explained that to Poe, I really don't think he would have reacted in the same way. I, I really don't. Uh, he he reacted in actually forming a mutiny because he thought that it was going to lead to everybody's deaths. He just thought these were these pods are going to just be picked off. And everyone's going to die. I have to do what I have to do to save everybody's life. If you're not going to save your own life, I'm going to save your life. And that's why Poe acted in the way that he does. I, I just thought that this was very... It, it was it was poorly written, I think. That the, this point was very poorly written. I, th- I still like it. Just because the thing she knows about him and knows about his cockiness. And that the thing is, telling him about this plan and going, Oh, that won't be tracked and things like that. It wouldn't develop any of his character. He wouldn't develop as a character. He wouldn't be a good leader. He'd just be like, okay, we won't do this and whatever. Because he needed to learn how to fail and he needed to learn that there is not one way of doing things. Plus, obviously, they had to get closer to the planet before they can actually fire off the pods. And that's the thing. When he sends, when um, Poe and Rose come up with their plan, he's like, all right, let's do this. We can do this. It'll be great. But the thing is, that's his choice. He told them, he put that plan into motion to send them out to go to the casino to get the code cracker and, you know, he was going to get them. He's basically going to get them killed. But the problem is, because he sent them out and it was on, it was on him, the code cracker sold that information, and now the pods were going to get destroyed. And that was on him. And that's it. That's the yeah. thing he needed to learn. He needed to learn this story. He needed to learn to be a leader because you know they're technically you know at this moment without leader. For Poe in this story, he needs to learn how to fail and need to know that there's a lot many a lot more lives on the line than in, than his own. I mean, with her just telling him. You know, about, oh, we're doing this and this and this. You wouldn't learn anything. He'd literally be the same character at the end of the movie that he was at the beginning of the movie. He would have just done the exact same things and probably got himself killed. But uh, it's just that he's not, he has to learn and you have to learn from these things. And that's where Poe's getting his uh, character development is that he needs to learn to fail. He needs to learn that, you know, being a leader is a lot more. And I think that's what you have to take away from this. We know that they were going to end up on Crate. We know that from the trailer. We just didn't know that this escape plan was actually going to bring everybody down to that base. I Mm. think if there was just something in there to maybe tell us, the audience, obviously she's keeping the plan a secret from Poe. Why don't you just let 
us in on the secret too, or even have a, a kind of an aside to another high-ranking, you know, officer of the resistance where it's like, well, you're going to let the captains know, or you're going to let cap, no, why don't we just, why don't we just keep it to ourselves for now? You know, because of his erratic behavior beforehand, I would have been fine with that. It just kind of seemed not written well at the end where it's just like, oh, well, this was her plan the whole time. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a reveal to everybody. And well, I didn't, I didn't like that. Well, our access to the sort of world of Star Wars is through the characters. We're basically accessing this movie through Poe. We're also accessing it through uh, Finn and also Rey. Um, we're not just having scenes with, char- with two characters who we have no idea who they are, just having a casual chit-chat. I mean, we don't know, you know Laura Dern's character. And so we're basically accessing the story of Star Wars through the characters. I mean, we do it through Han Solo, we do it through Luke, we do it through Leia. Um, we even do it through uh, Darth Vader as well. But that's it. Like We're accessing story through characters through their point of view. So through the point of view we're getting is from Poe is that he's getting this... You know, he's getting the runaround and thinking that this person, we shouldn't trust them. They shouldn't be doing these these things. I'm the right guy. I'm the hero. Because remember, Poe's the hero. We we as the audience have to be on his side. That's what mm-hmm. we assume. And so that's how we access the stories through uh, the characters. And again, you know, illequivocally, we have to be like, oh yeah, Poe's probably right about this. And that's, yeah, that's kind of where they were leading us to. So anyway, just... Up to, you, up, to, up, to, up, up to us, the audience, to figure this out. You know, we're smart enough. I have a couple of things to bring up. Uh, first of all, other than making the audience wonder, is Aldo good? Is she a traitor? Whatever. Or just, I guess, testing the crew. She had mentioned that saying Leia would use that if you, what was it? Something about seeing the sun or... Uh, if you um, could see the sun, you can't make it through the night or something? Or if you... If you didn't have faith in the sun, then uh, you wouldn't make it through the night. Something, something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Other than those two why should we not, why would she not fill her crew in on what the plan is instead of just, nope, we're moving forward, don't worry about it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Because I think it's mostly having to trust the orders of the captain, because if they're like, you know, there are certain things you should know and and shouldn't know. It's pretty hard to be a captain, because unfortunately you might have an ultimate plan uh, to do something. Plus also, um, she probably kept it to herself because again, you're talking about spies. What if there was a spy on board? That's true. And we don't you know, know th- at the time. And there, there weren't any spies on board. The information that the code cracker gets is from our heroes. It's on them. Well, yeah, we, l- l- let's get, <laughs> let's get into well, that. Um, yeah. I have one other thing. Yeah. As far as I can remember, they said when the first order started following them after the hyperspace jump, they estimated they had 16 hours of fuel. Are we to believe that the First Order would slowly chase these ships for 16 hours, waiting for them to run out of fuel, instead of, like, jumping away and jumping back right in front of them? Would they be patient and just be like, oh, okay, we'll just wait. Yeah, but I think it's more down to Hux because they're slowly picking them off. And his whole thing was like, you know, keep up the barrage. Just make sure they know that, that we're here. It's that whole thing of like, yeah, we're here. We're slowly destroying you. And that's it. It's it's on his order where he's slowly picking them off one by one to, you know, I guess prove their, their dominant might and to slowly see him get destroyed. Again, it's it's Hux being a bit of a naughty man. God, I don't know the, I don't know the safer way of saying sure. a guy, a guy, yeah. He's, he's being a, a little bit of a pretentious dude by slowly picking them off at the rate that they are. I think that's just on him. That's his character. Because, again, he's just slowly taking him away. I mean, like, they're losing a ship, so what they're doing is working. 
but you know they can just easily slowly catch up to them and you know it's just it's that whole pomposity of just showing off really and again yeah, that's on hux is. that's on that's yeah. on hux's thing yeah, and it, you know, it, you could almost equate it to a, a lion stalking, you know, the the gazelles or the wildebeest, you know, and just going for the sick one and following it away from the herd, you know, and just waiting for it to just collapse on its own, conserving its own energy and just waiting for it. But does that really equate to a space chase, a space battle? I just have so much of a problem with this low speed chase. Like Paul said, couldn't they just jump away and jump back? And I, I've heard different things. And uh, Sean brought out a point about, you know, calculating to a different star system. It's very complicated, uh, you know, to go on these light speed routes. And it's not as simple as just jumping forward, you know, a billion miles and then jumping back right in front of them. Things are a little more complicated than that. I can buy that. But overall, I just thought the fact that this low speed chase took up so much of this movie, I just, again, I think this was... Maybe something that should have been removed in another draft of this film. I, I think, you know, the chase is fine, but chase them down to crate. You know, get the battle down there, and uh, let's let's move the story away from this chase because there were so many things that logically, I, I don't know, they didn't make sense for me. So the thing in The Empire Strikes Back with you know our gang in the Millennium Falcon, which can't use its hyperdrive, was fine, especially when they got stuck inside a giant space worm. I'm not saying that makes that fine, but I'm just saying it. it they just spent a lot of time. Film. We spent a lot of time with them, kind of just hanging around in the ship, just hanging around. I feel like that was a lot less the movie. It, it seemed that way, anyway. But no, I. That's the thing. It's like, what's the alternative to this situation? That you know, because they can't get to the planet yet, because obviously they're going at a slower speed. It's like if you have fuel in your car, you don't just gun it and go. I'm going to make it to the next petrol station. It's like no, I have to go slower because in my fuel consumption is going to be equal to the distance I need to get it to get to the petrol station. You know, you go at a slow, steady speed, because if you gun it, yeah, you're going to burn up fuel, and then you're not going to make it to that, you know, place you need to get to. And that's what they're doing. They're slowly going forward to get to the planet, because they need to get to a specific distance. The First Order don't know where they're going. They don't know, they don't think there's other planets or other places for them to go, or there's no one for them to call. All they know is that, you know, people know of the Resistance or the Rebellion, that symbol is out there in space, but it's just that (laughs) there's no one else going to come and save them. It's up to them. Because if they start making moves towards a planet, then they're going to be like, hey, they're going to that planet, let's destroy them. But the alternative of this is like, you know, with people going, well, why couldn't the First Order just, you know, zip in front of them and shoot them? It's like, well, that's a short movie. That's a short movie. They well, zip it's a shorter of... sequence. It doesn't have to be no, a no, short no, movie. No, 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 no. It's a short movie because Poe gets killed, Finn gets killed, everyone else gets killed, Day is dead, and it's like, cool. So what's the rest of the movie going to be? <laughs> what? It's just going to be Ray and Luke, which, from all the comments I keep reading online, apparently everyone thinks this movie is called Luke Skywalker and the Star Wars, when it's not that. <laughs> you know, it's like, look, this is the movie. This is how it is. This is the story that you're following. Um, if you want to try and bring it into reality, well, how about this? None of these characters are checking their smartphones. I can accept that. That's the reality I want and I crave for. <laughs> but with other people going, oh, they wouldn't have done that. They would have done this space maneuver and done this stuff. And it's like, it's just, it's a movie about space and everyone lives a better life than me. That's all I got to say. It looks pretty filthy, <laughs> but no one's worrying about their social media account and taking a selfie with a pork. I love it. It's great. <laughs> I'm hyped. I, I want to be there one more thing about this you know you know how i would have written it if it was me i want that space chase to be a lot shorter i want a longer battle down on the planet or something else just going on down on the planet maybe fill in the time with more jedi training with ray 
I want Poe to to have, form that mutiny because he doesn't trust Holdo, as he shouldn't, because she's not telling the plan. I want him to cabin boy Holdo and put her on a secondary ship, cast her off the Rattus. Now you're on your own ship behind us <laughs> because you're a traitor, right? Then I want Holdo to just engage light speed on her secondary ship, and I want Poe to go up to the window and show everybody, see? There's your traitor. She's escaping. And I want her to go light speed at the First Order ship. All right? And then that whole sequence happens. They can't believe that she was she was on the, the good side the whole time. And it gives them a diversion and plenty of time to go down to the planet and get ready for the battle ahead. That's how I would have written this. Do you know how that sequence ends? And this is in my mind with um, Poe going, look at this, look at this. And he's trying to be right. Um, and she light speeds into the spaceship. Uh, the camera slowly zooms in on Poe as the Curve Your Enthusiasm music comes on. <laughs> That's literally what's going to happen to his character. It's not going to be like, oh, wow, Poe, you're the best. It's like, hey, Poe, get off the ship. He's going to be rejected off the ship for being a, a guy who is a big old bag of wind. And that's it. That's the problem with that. That I mean, that's sorry. It's, that's what I'm thinking of that sequence. It's, it's like, see, there's your traitor. And then in, then you see, while the shot's still on him, she's flying into these spaceships and destroying them. And then like, and then they all kind of look at him. He's like, uh. And then we get the you know, <laughs> oh, right. go your enthusiasm music. Because maybe it again, wouldn't well, be that dramatic. Maybe maybe there is some communication there where she's like, I'll do it, but I, you know, uh, you know, I, I forgive you, Poe, and all this stuff. And maybe she can say that whole thing where she talks about when he's unconscious. You know, I like, you know, he's a troublemaker. I like him, and she could say something like that to him, just like, yeah. you know, I know you don't believe me, but I did have a plan for you, and I do like you. And now yeah. get down to that planet below. I think it's also because you needed Poe to learn that. Um, you actually have to trust, and that's part of the value he, he, he learns. He, he grows as a character, because at the end of it, when he's like, you know, he's trying to help them get out of this, literally, it looks like a dead situation that they're going to die, that there's no other way out of that mine, and he's like, wait, we gotta, we gotta go this way. And he realizes that, you know, the critters are all gone, he's like, this way, and he follows them, and they go through this thing. I mean, it's a kind of a meeting of the ideas with Ray saving them, but no, he has to learn to be a, hero, uh, a leader rather than just a cocky hero, because yeah, even at the end of it, you know, Leia's like, why are you looking at me? Follow him. You know, allowing him to now lead because he isn't so stupid. That's it. He he had to learn that because I think in the version you did, he's just going to be kicked to the side and no one's going to trust him and we won't be seeing, um, you know, Poe Dameron for the next movie. It, it feels like he's just like, oh man, no one likes yeah. me now because I, got, you know, no one trusts me anymore. Because that's it. Like, no one would trust him. And again, I think that's the point. Like, you need to have a new leader. I'm, I'm sure there's a, a couple of trials that uh, Han Solo had to get through to become a general. You know, it wasn't just an easy, like, hey, guys, I uh, help Luke Skywalker. I'm a criminal, smuggler. Give me all the keys to every of the good stuff. I'm a general now. You know. Well, it didn't take much for Luke, you know, to go from farm boy to, uh, you know, pilot of the uh, the rebellion. But anyway, yeah. we got to move on. There's so much more to get to. Just briefly speaking here, you know, Finn, when he kind of partially comes back from his stunning, talks to Rose about this light speed tracking, this whole notion of light speed tracking. And somehow the two of them figure out exactly what it is and where it is. Uh, they present it to Poe privately. And not only do they discuss it, but they have schematics, full schematics of the ship and exactly where this flux capacitor is on the, uh, on the First Order ship. It was like, uh, how did they come across all of this based on a theory? Because they steal plans and, and junk. I guess so, but, you know, that, that we certainly didn't see. Oh, and also that, because um, Finn said he worked there. Yes, Finn I know. a very good memory. Yeah. Yeah. For a janitor. 
But I like I like um uh, Poe's uh, uh, reaction though when they say like what we have to do we have to go here and like turn off this sensor or something like that and he's like then we blow it up that's how gung ho he is because like he blew up you know the other thing and like yeah that's it he just keeps he's he's really you know ready and firing on all cylinders you know he's trying to be like we, we do this and we blow it up and we do this you know it's like dude you gotta you gotta calm down and you know he <laughs> learns in the way where it's like he allows these uh, his friend and his own droid by the way to go off in this mission which it, it's. Yeah. It's it's a mission which is faulty and fails, and again, that's what the, the, they, they're all learning, is how to fail and how to rise from failure. But it's all on Poe, because Poe was going to get his friend killed, and his droid killed, uh, destroyed. Sorry, I don't know if robots have lives. They do. Sure. But yeah, he was going to get um his friends killed, which is on him, which, you know, when you see the turnabout, where he realizes that, you know, the plan has failed, and that Leia comes in and shoots him, and he's like, Whoa! you know, he goes flying against the wall, <laughs> like an With idiot. stun rings. Yeah, he, he, he realized his plan failed, so, like, what was Poe's backup plan to this? Nothing. It would, would have been nothing. It would have been a bad plan. And, you know, when he realized it's Leia, it's like, wait, what are you here? It's like, I'm doing a good thing, right? And then, no. But no, I, I like this sequence just for the fact that you see Finn seems to be information-blocking Rose, where he's like, you know, he's telling about the plan, but he kind of steps in front of her and keeps yakking on about the plan until she actually mm. kind of... You know, push them out of the way. And also, I like how, in fact, we get, you know, to see Maz Kanata again. This is, this uh, is, it's a fun setup. Okay, I, I have a problem. Were you happy with her appearance? Say that again? I'm asking if he was, if Hamish was happy with the short, kind of meaningless appearance of Maz Kanata in this movie. Yeah. Where else are you going to get sleazy information from? This whole sequence, you know, when, when I looked at the cast listing, uh, we knew that Lupita Nyong'o was going to be back in this movie as Maz Kanata, which is great because she's in the first one. And however you feel about the character, the fact that it's a motion capture character, whatever. This is a character that knows a lot of things. She's been alive for, you know, was it hundreds of years or a thousand years or whatever, how old she is. She had Luke's lightsaber. There's obviously a lot going on there. I mean, she had the pod racing flags on her castle. She's seen a lot of things. She knows a lot of things. And uh, was it you, Paul, that was telling me she made some mention to Han Solo about Rey? Yeah, in Force Awakens, uh, when it's just her and Han at the table, she asks him, who's the girl? And then it cuts away, you know, and you're expecting that Han's telling her because he knows. But according to what we learn in this movie, she's nobody. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll address that when we get to that point. But the, the fact that it seemed as though... Maz knows a lot of things, you know, or, or she, there's some information there that we can get, uh, pieces of and put it together with what we've learned already. And maybe that'll give us a little more of this mystery throughout the trilogy of maybe some of the pasts of some of these characters. Who knows? I found this scene of Maz jetpacking around, blasting who knows what or whom. A union dispute. Yeah. It was reminiscent of Yoda doing flips all over a cave with his little green lightsaber. <laughs> like, it didn't fit her character from what we saw in Force Awakens. Uh, I still think it does fit her character. Because remember, like, she seems like to be a tough little cookie. I gotta say that. I don't think she's, yeah. like, a, a weak person. Plus, she owns a bar which has a bunch of, you know, scumbags who come through it. But no, I, I think it, it works for the fact, like, they needed some privy little secret information. But I, it's more to do the fact, like, the setup of what they're, um, the person that they're after. Because, you know, she seems to have met everybody in the galaxy, almost. You know, she knows every kind of two-bit thug. I mean, like, and going back to that Force Awakens thing, when she says, who's the girl, I think Han's reaction to that would be like, I don't know. She had my, she had my Millennium Falcon. That's it. That's we don't know. literally, 
well, it's not like he's like, I know exactly who she is. No, he's like, he's Han Solo. He didn't even know where his spaceship was. He even told Chewie, like, on Jakku? It's like, I told you we should have like, looked there. You know, he had no idea. I think, again, my reaction with that would just be like, it wasn't like he has a mysterious story about it. It's just like, I don't know. She's brought back my spaceship. I'm thinking back, too, to The Force Awakens, like when Kylo Ren is first told about a girl being involved. He's like, mm. what girl? Like, He's really interested in this, and yep. he had no reason to be, you know? No, no, but that, that's part of the story that they said. It's like if I describe, hey, uh, Paul, someone just spoke into, like, some guy just spoke into your house. You'd be like, what guy? We'll be like, you know, like, tell me specifically the entire story of this man. And so it's like, what guy? Because, you know, if, if you look like a drunk or a thug or something like that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a general purpose question. But no, I think that's the thing with running around shooting yourself. It just fits her character because it seems like whatever she did after her little place was destroyed was it was it blown up didn't it no yeah it did because yeah. they they blew up everything and now she's into another line of business uh which involves a union dispute uh i i, I like this because again like we don't need to see what she's doing she's just running around blowing stuff up but she's taking a call at the same time she's multitasking i love that and who was filming that call because she jetpacks away who, it's like who who films the rest of these hologram chit chats that they have come on even They're even stationary ho- cameras. Where? In front of them, if it's a hologram that... But how, know, does, like, but how does but how does it work when, was it, in the beginning of it, Hux is pointing at a spaceship, and he's actually, his hologram's pointing at the exact place where the spaceship is? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Again, I don't know how that works. Because, again, once he's, if the, the captain of the Dreadnought's facing the other direction, it doesn't... <laughs> it looks like he's pointing out the window. You know, at the window, at or pointing at one of the guys in the back eating a sandwich. <laughs> um, but no, it's just, it's, it's, it adds color because it's like they're getting information from a woman who knows and, you know, she knows about the galaxy. And then she describes this perfect man. I love it just because yes. she's describing the perfect, he's a great with a blaster. He's a great, you know, he can fly. He's a great codebreaker. She built up this perfect man. Like the expectation was they're going to find the perfect dude who we do see. And he looks like the most, like, you know, the charismatic mustache man from the 1950s, I would say. Bond. Space Bond. Yeah, he looks like Space Bond. He even has a British <laughs> accent and everything. And he's at the casino. And again, like, they built him up to be this perfect guy, right? And that's the thing. They're looking for the perfect guy. He has this, you know, red palm bloom. We'll find him, and he's going to be the perfect guy you need. But the problem is the plan doesn't work like that. The movie isn't about succeeding exactly. It's it's failure. And that's what happens. They <laughs> they fail at finding the guy, and they find the next best thing, which is another dude. Yeah, so, so Poe is like, all right, you know, you're going to have the secret plan. You guys go, you know, you... Finn, Rose, and BB-8 go to Canto Bight, uh, where the, you know, this casinos and racetracks and everything. Again, beautiful location, something different. Uh, some people had a problem with this, that it looked like something out of the prequels. So Canto Bight, I, again, we're, we're doing these a little out of sequence here, but uh, because we're talking about the Finn and Rose plan, let's just get right into the, the whole casino place. A little goofy. I thought maybe this was going to be their version of, like, the next cantina scene. Uh, we see a wide variety of different people, uh, aliens and everything to, you know, spend their money on the, this lavish vacation to Canto Bite and gamble away and drink drinks and eat space pastries. I did not think we were going to see space pastries, but sure enough. And we see uh, Space Bond, played here by uh, Justin Thoreau. So I did not expect to see somebody from Parks and Recreation. 
uh, in this movie. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> wait, what? Sorry, that's the only thing he's done? No, but he's yeah. In, he's I, in Parks and Recreation. He's also in a Muse music video. Yeah. He's in a bunch of stuff. You might also remember him from uh, Zoolander, but yeah, that's a, that's yes, a different thing. Yeah, he's, he's been in a bunch of things, but I just thought it was funny. And uh, we see him at the table and uh, gambling, and there there's uh, a lady with him, and as Finn and Rose enter the casino and notice him by his, you know, that little brooch there that he's wearing, they're escorted away. They're kicked out of the casino. But the lady that's with the Master Codebreaker notices them. And I thought that this was surely going to be a setup for how she's going to help them. You know, like, she's going to see them. She says, she even says to the Codebreaker, like, you know, what's going on over there or something. So I thought she's going to get break them out of jail, essentially. But no, we don't, we don't get that at all. Yeah, I mean, they meet the code breaker after they look at the racetrack, which some people assumed was going to be pod racing. Oh, please. Yeah, because yeah, they go out and she doesn't like the place. She doesn't like the sleazy place. And Rose mentions that the only people making money here are from war. While they're watching the um, horse racing thing track. Whatever those are. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, she notices that, you know, there's some uh, stable hands who are being treated like dirt from a guy who's whipping them. You know, a girl uh, another and two other boys. Uh, and she's in. You know, he sees that the animal's being treated badly, and you know the place is decadent, but it's 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 hiding some bad stuff. But uh, another point about this master code breaker, when Maz first of all says, "I know a guy." Uh, Sean was saying to me afterwards, he thought for sure this was going to be Lando Calrissian, and since then I heard a lot of people mention that they thought that this was going to be Lando. And where is Lando in this trilogy? I mean, they brought everybody else back. Give Billy D a chance to be Lando again in this movie, or one of these movies, you know? I That was disappointing, but me, personally, I thought right off the bat this was going to be the character of DJ, because we heard Benicio Del Toro is going to be in this movie as a character named DJ, and the whole misdirect of the wrong codebreaker, they just happened to be thrown into a cell with a guy that claims he could be a codebreaker, and sure enough, is a master codebreaker as well? It, it just, yes. I, again, another point of the movie that i thought was poorly written i could have gone without this whole canto bite sequence anyway I, what are your thoughts about canto bite ball yeah i'm not a big fan of it kind of just took me out of the whole thing i wish it had been different all around pretty much i like the sequence because it helps finn actually learn there's actually other choices out there rather than fighting and that's why dj says like don't join you know and he's he's part of he's worked for the first order and the resistance he's been fighting he's in entire life and it seems to be like maybe though he hasn't really thought about the third option and that's what dj says he basically says don't join which his character is called don't join um <laughs> it's actually even written on his hat in uh, i think carabash yeah i think that's you needed to have this part of the story too because also they weren't just doing this mission to find the code breaker i mean that's the main crux but also they were uh, uh helping bring along the story of the rebellion, because like you know, when she gives the kid the ring and you know wants him to hide them because they're part of the rebellion, the kid seems to be cool with that. And that's the thing; it's like the rebellion is slowly falling apart, and they need hope. They need to create more. Well, I mean, it's not create more buzz, but you know, show that this is what the rebellion is. You know, right. we're trying to help. We're trying to do this, and that's why they free the animals. Yeah, you know, the kid helps him, and at the end of it, he keeps the ring. But like, they does free he the steal animals. it or does she give it to him? She gave it to him. And so when they release the animal, and he helps them release the animals. So it shows that, you know, in some way that they're good. Because, you know, these yeah. animals are being treated badly, and they're releasing them. Even though the kid has to stay there, he has to work for a job, because I guess there's no other life outside of this world for him. And he seems to be like an orphan boy. He, you know, he goes back to the stable. And that's, you know, the kids start talking about stories about a certain character. We'll get to that in just a second. Mm -hmm. Well, in a whale. Way, way off. 
and that's what they're doing. It's not. It's it's about them learning to fail, learning about the expectations are different, and so he's developing a certain identity for himself. The same thing with uh, Poe. Poe was like very cocky, but now he's learning to actually control this. And so, yeah, I think the casino scene works because, again, it's like, well, we have to figure out what the rest of the galaxy is doing, right? I don't know. This this just seems so superfluous, this whole storyline, because I, I feel as though at the end of it, I mean, these poor kids, you know, and how they're being mistreated, the animals are being mistreated. This is a terrible thing. And I don't think Finn and Rose made it any better for them. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but... It gave the kids hope. Yes, there's a resistance out there. We're here to help you. They just let the animals loose, like, not too far away. You know, and it, it Rose takes off the saddle and it's like, okay, now it's right. It's like, well, they're just going to be rounded up and brought back in. And these kids are going to be in huge trouble because this all happened under their watch. They picked up DJ, which I guess was the whole point of getting there. You know, hmm. they, they leave on an escaped ship. <sighs> just, I don't know. It's like the assumption where there's only one version of Han Solo that ever exists. And, like, you know, there's no such thing as other smugglers or thieves. And remember, he's a thief. And I think that's, what, you know, it made sense for him to be there because, well, he's he's robbing people. And apparently it seems like he was either quite drunk or something like that. And But with him in that scene, I th- he still does what he does. And that's what he did when he, um obviously, you know, betrayed the team because he saw an opportunity. But the thing you have to realize is, like, you know, Han Solo is a smuggler. That's not exactly a noble job. And I'm sure he lied, cheated, and, you know, treated people badly while he was doing this job before he, you know, found the um, rebels. You know, I think it's a good contrast. I think I think it's... Uh, I think I, I, I still liked it. I mean, yeah, you could probably say the whole escape plan with the horse animals. I have no idea what they're na- named. <laughs> I don't know what they um, are, yeah. I mean, yeah, they released them, but at the same time, like, they need to uh, an escape. So, you know, they need something which could help them escape at the same time. But I'm surprised yeah. that, you know, the only thing that I found interesting is like, wow, BB-8 can actually knock people out. Yeah, yeah, he exactly. Has and and he has his buttons, and he has a buttons. but he has like some sort of shock baton things or something inside him. These little yeah. arms and stuff. And he took down like three dudes. You know, he's a pretty tough cookie. I guess. Well, anyway, uh, one, one more thing about Benicio Del Toro I thought was funny is... Uh, when, when Luke was uh, talking to Ray earlier and he was like, where are you from? I'm from nowhere. Nobody's from nowhere. And I was thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, actually, Benicio Del Toro is from nowhere. Uh, that That's where uh, Tanelir Tivon lives in the Celestial yeah. Severed Head. But anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Just- I, 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 well, there are some th- things you notice where it's just like, wow, these guys have got the Disney lock, haven't they? Like, you know, <laughs> Benicio Del Toro in Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy. Lupita Longo? Lupita Nyong'o. Nyong'o. Yeah. She's in Black Panther, but also in this as well. Yep. You know, there's a lot of that back and forth between these. Andy Serkis. We saw him in the, the trailer for Black Panther before the movie where we saw him as Snoke. But yeah. again, we got to move on. Um, another point. Uh, in this film that we skipped uh, to go ahead is uh, Luke uh, going on the Millennium Falcon once again, you know, for the first time in many, many years. What did you think about this scene, Paul? I really liked it. I don't know if the dice looked how they did in the original trilogy. I think they were gold dice, but I think they were just conventional dice. Well, they're just, they're they're in the original hanging around in the back, but they weren't like, they didn't really focus the camera much on it. Plus, obviously, it's a small prop. They basically put in there for effect. Plus, you know, the uh, I guess you want to do uh, a kind of harking back to fuzzy dice in a uh, American graffiti. But it was a nice nostalgic moment, and then of course we have Luke reuniting with R two, and R two showing the the video of Leia that started his journey. Mm. I liked all that. Uh, yeah, it was nice to see that once again, and it gave gave Luke a reminder of um, the beginning of all of this. Well, he has a he had to mourn Han, right? And that's why he's in there. He's all sad. 
And that's why he grabs the dice, because the dice also represent um, Lando as well, because that's how Han actually won the Millennium Falcon from Lando. He was playing Sabacc, and those dice are actually, you know, that's that's how you play the game. You know, well, the dice played with cards, not dice. Well, it's, that's the version I remember. We'll see in five um, months, guys. Getting psyched for that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a version. It's, they actually use dice because they play Sabacc with dice or cards. And you see other guys playing. According to the Han Solo trilogy, it was cards. Well, from my uh, recollection and knowledge of the series, it's cards or dice. It's oh, they're chance cubes. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. Like, you, they use dice for this game. I guess it's it's the closest thing you have to a Lando reference, but like yeah, the dice are from him winning the Falcon. But I like the fact that Luke needed somewhere to kind of I guess mourn Han because again he's dealing with a lot of things going on in his life. And it's cool that yeah he goes back into the Millennium Falcon, looks at the seats, and then has a sit down, and looks kind of you know pretty pretty mopey with himself, you know like in a bad place. But then like when he sees R two D two, he literally acts the same way he did back in the original trilogy, where he's like R two, he's so happy and joyful about it. And also I like how he kind of confirmed that R two is swearing. Yes, yes, this is a sacred planet, watch your language. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I just like that, because he's like, bleep, bloop, bloop, he's like, hey, hey, watch the language. But I like how he, he, some people thought it was kind of like, you know, a, a stupid thing, a nostalgic, nostalgic thing to do, but it's like, through the, all the language that R2-D2 has, with Luke saying, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I wish you could understand that I'm not coming back. Like, he's saying like, hey, man, you're just a robot, and, you know, this is a bigger problem than you'll ever understand. And, you know, R2-D2 goes to the most purest form of trying to break through to Luke, which is obviously playing the message that he's had all these years, because he didn't get his mind wiped, unlike those prequels, for some mm-hmm. reason. He kept the <laughs> message, and he, th- and he really, literally picked the most purest form, which was like, Leia asked for help. She's your sister, she asked for help. So, you're going to help? And literally, it's recalling back to the call to adventure, you know, like in all stories, like he's getting the call to adventure again, and you know, it starts kind of changing his mind because you know, out of everybody who should understand him, it's it's R two D two. He's been there for for a long time, so he should know how to talk to him and how to treat him. So yeah, it it makes sense. So I thought it was interesting, especially that the fact that you know it kind of changes Luke's mind. I mean, I do like the fact that you mentioned that that's a cheap move. <laughs> yeah, which, which which sounds like a Han Solo line, but again, like you know, Han's dead, so I think that's it's allowed. All right, so we we can condense the next couple of scenes here. We see that Ray is now getting trained. Luke reluctantly agrees he's going to give her th- the three lessons and uh, explain why the Jedi should end. It's kind of interesting. I, I believe she only ends up getting two of the three overall. But as she's spending this time on the island, we also notice that she is being connected uh, through the Force to Kylo Ren. Uh, they start to have these conversations, and I thought this was very interesting. You know, we saw that in the trailer where they, the two were talking to one another. They were extending their hand to one another, and it was like, oh, please, this is misdirection. Look at the backgrounds don't even match up. And sure enough, yeah, this is something we had never seen before. We even had shot reverse shot as they were talking, even though they were in two different locations. Curiously, Kylo Ren could not see her background, her surroundings, but she could see his. You know, in talking to one another, the two start to get a sense of uh, that they're both kind of in the middle. You know, uh, she can see the potential for the light in him. He can see the potential for darkness. And it's pretty strong on both sides for both of them. So, yeah, Ray gets this whole meditation scene. Uh, Luke does. Uh, it's actually pretty funny where he touches her hand with the leaf. Oh, you feel that? You feel that? She like He, like, hits her hand with the branch. 
Uh, but we see in the course of the meditation, uh, we talked about it earlier, she sees the balance of the force, light and dark. You know, she sees, uh, you know, the force in between. She actually mentions here, too, that Lucas purposely cut himself off from the force. She does not see him. Um, we also see the dark side, the physical manifestation of the dark side being this hole into a dark cave lined with seaweed that draws her to it. Uh, Luke is very disturbed by the fact that she is not resisting it. You know, she still has that in her. She has the, this anger or, you know, the, this need to know her past, you know, she, she's uh, looking for it anywhere she can. Luke finds this very disturbing. You know, he, he equates her power and her potential to what he's seen before in Ben Solo. And we get a lot of information about what happened to Kylo Ren. Uh, we gleaned a little bit earlier in uh, The Force Awakens about how he was one of the students and turned on his master, burned the temple, and left Luke for dead. We also learned that there were the Knights of Ren, but not much information. We were hoping that this movie would give us more. No information whatsoever. I, maybe one line, I think, about the other students, right? He, he took a bunch of students and killed the rest that didn't want to join. So we get this story now told to us three times throughout the movie about Ben's turn to the dark side, or supposed turn to the dark side, about how Luke uh, saw the potential for darkness. It was just too much to bear. And in a fleeting moment in the middle of the night, went to actually put his nephew to death, but decided not to, but it was too late. Ben saw what he was about to do and turned on him. So there's a lot here. So what are your thoughts, Paul? I liked how they showed the three stories, you know, what Luke originally revealed to Ray, saying that he was just there watching him sleep, reading his mind or whatever, and was attacked, unprovoked. And then Kylo tells her, no, he was standing over me with a lightsaber, uh, ready to kill me, and I had to defend myself. And then we get the actual story, which is, he did have that thought, and as soon as he ignited his lightsaber, he realized he couldn't do this, but it was too late. Ben woke up and attacked him, so I liked all that. I wasn't sure how I felt the first time about seeing Kylo and Ray have their conversations through the Force. I guess just because it was a new thing. Seeing it today, I didn't mind it as much. I wish they had gone deeper into the fear that Ray has, as we know from the prequels, fear is one of the things that leads to the dark side. And in that first lesson, her mind immediately went to that dark place on the island. I feel that wasn't explored enough, the, the darkness within her and the conflict, but most of it was pretty good. I like the fact that we had three different versions of the story, which is good because this whole thing is about stories. Right, Luke told his, his version, and Kylo told his version. They both have different versions of it, uh, and as you know, as everything, when you hear stories from different people, there's an element of truth, and there was truth, right? You know, there's one version which is one thing that Luke said, and he was hiding a certain element of truth in there, and Kylo as well. Um, but yeah, like, it's basically like he had a, a, a gut reaction, which was like, oh, I should kill him, and I'll stop this whole thing. That means I'll stop another Darth Vader. But you know, he realized that. It was bad. But also, apparently, Snoke had gotten to Kylo as well. So, you know, I guess it's kind of pushed it over the edge, where, you know, I'm sure Snoke was feeding him information like, you know, he'd be killed by Luke Skywalker, and it'd be terrible, and, you know, he's not the person you should trust. But, you know, I, I like for the fact that, again, this whole thing is of talking about stories and legends and what we believe and what we, you know, the truth is behind the 
stories that we tell. But also the fact is that we finally got an explanation to Obi-Wan's thing of, it's true from a certain point of view. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a good expansion on that idea, and we actually finally see what it is from two different points of view and the truth. So we next get a scene here where Rey is actually getting seduced by the dark side in almost in the way that Luke does in the original trilogy. We go back to this hole in the cave that kind of symbolizes the dark side. She enters it. We get a very um, visually stunning sequence, but it really is kind of confusing. Uh, we see Rey uh, standing there along with copies of herself in a long line. Uh, we see the sequence of time as each person uh, snaps their finger in line. All of these copies of Ray representing, I guess, the passing of time, all streaming towards the one Ray in the front, who's at a reflective, I don't know if it's crystal or ice, uh, looking to see who her parents really are. And we see shadows, two shadows, approaching. And when we think there might be a reveal, she wipes her hand on it and sees her own reflection. Uh, she walks away disappointed, and she even tells this to Kylo Ren. Uh, so, I don't know, what did you think about this whole dark side sequence? I really disliked it. I didn't understand what we were supposed to get from what happened down there, at least in Luke's uh, encounter in the cave on Dagobah. We understand what it means. Um, if he continues on this path, he's going to turn to the dark side. He's going to be the next Vader. But... I have no idea what it meant, you know, that she snapped her fingers and it went all the way down the line and came back around and she snapped her fingers again. And and when she asked to see her parents, she saw her own reflection. I could have done without all of this. Yeah, same here. How about you, Hamish? I liked it. Because the thing is, it's it's we all assume it's supposed to be this one thing that's supposed to be a specific path. But no, she was looking into a reflection, which was a reflection of herself. And the representation was that, you know, she could see down past herself and back past herself. I don't think it represented time, just it was a representation of a line. You know, I imagine like a long lineage. And she was hoping that her parents were somebody, you know, like high-ranking people, amazing people that are going to change her mind and she's going to be able to find them. And the whole clicking thing is basically because she's looking to reflection and she was within the reflection. Uh, and what happened was that, you know, even though we can assume this is the darker side, it's, it's I guess... A mirror of truth, I'd put it as. Because, you know, she's gained the honest truth. Her expectations that her parents are going to be like, you know, let's say, nobility or famous people or something like that. I mean, that's what her assumption is. I mean, obviously she just wants to see her parents, but maybe that's what she assumes they're going to be. Like, they're going to be great people. And the clicking thing is basically because it's trying to get a perspective, because she's looking into a mirror. She's still standing outside it, like her physical self, but she's looking into it. It's getting perspective, and at a certain point, it reflects back onto her, and at the end of it, even though, you know, we want to see her parents, I mean, I don't think a reflective surface is going to reveal my parents. I mean, this is not Harry Potter. You know, it's, it's, she's looking to reflection herself, reflection herself in a long line of self, like, you could always represent that as the lineage of herself, always related, always the same, and down the end of it, you know, she looked into the mirror and saw nobody, but herself and you know it, it's mostly you know the dark side of this whole situation is to make you feel alone and lost and you know she's learning you know she she is alone she's not related to anybody famous she's you know it's not luke skywalker it's not han solo i mean even carlo ren said like you know she's looking for uh, a father figure you know first in Ka- first in um han solo and then in luke skywalker both heroes heroes with long big stories behind them right yeah uh and she's looking for something to hold on to by you know these heroic types, you know, these icons. But at the end of it, you know, she saw nothing, which represents 
nothing. She's not anything. She's just herself. Like, what she is now is important and nothing. She's not... She's nothing. She's alone. That's yeah. it. That That's what I took away from is that the representation is that she is looking into nothing and that's what's the f- fear. That's the fear, where she is nobody. She is nothing. There's nothing great in the future or a path, you know, in this situation. I mean, it's a dark side, so everything's a lot tempered. But she's nothing. And that's what fears her. And that's what we all fear, is being alone. And I think that's what the hope that she had when she was on Jakku as a kid. She was hoping to see her parents and always assumed they're out there somewhere. And the fact of the matter is like, well, they're nobody. They're, you're alone. Deal with that. We next get this scene where, you know, she confronts Luke Skywalker about the truth, about what Ben told her was his side of the story. They end up fighting over this. And, well, this, uh, this, it, this is um, after the hand touching, right? And you know, Luke yeah. is opening himself up back to the Force and sees Leia in her coma. Basically tells Rey, you know, we saw this in the trailer, this isn't going to go the way that you think. Wasn't sure that he was saying that to Rey, you know, down, struck down in this vulnerable position in the rain. Uh, you always think that Rey is on his side of things throughout this whole movie. So that was kind of uh, an interesting thing. Uh, but she is going to go seek out Kylo Ren. She's going to uh, seek out answers about herself and... Possibly, she feels, see the the light side of Kylo Ren, the actual Ben Solo that's still there. The part that, you know, maybe Luke Skywalker feared and gave up on and failed. So she flies out with Chewie in the Millennium Falcon and uh, jettisons herself in a pod into the First Order flagship and meets up with uh, Kylo Ren. And we're back in the throne room with Snoke. Uh, I have to say, this, this whole scene was uh, surprising. I know that this happens from the trailer that she confronts Snoke. Uh, I think we talked about it in an earlier episode, Paul. I just thought Ray was going to confront Snoke in the third movie. I just, I was very surprised. It didn't bother me that we had this meeting, but I was very shocked with what happens in this throne room. Yeah, I do like this part of the movie. I like, you know, the back and forth between her and Snoke. It is kind of reminiscent her leaving Luke. You know, she's not done with her training. She didn't get her third lesson. He rushed off to face Vader when he knew his friends were in trouble. She's rushing off because she thinks she can save Ben. But this scene was really cool. I liked the way it played out. I did not expect Snoke to die so soon, Mm. but I'm okay with it. I was a little let down that, you know, we were talking for two years about who is this Snoke? Is he someone that we knew from before, from the books or whatever? Is he Darth Plagueis? Some people said, is he Mace Window? I never <laughs> no. thought that. But I really liked, especially once Kylo killed him and the two of them fought against all the guards. That was a really well choreographed and beautiful scene with all the, the visuals, the red and everything. Yeah. Just uh, one other point about it is, you know, when uh, Ray is pretty much delivered by the Force, you know, through Snoke's doing, you know, moving her to Kylo Ren, him giving Kylo Ren his lightsaber and pretty much telling him to put Ray to death. We get this whole scene where he was telling Ray, you know, how he could see Kylo Ren's mind. You know, he can read his mind and he knows exactly what he's going to do at all times. People had a problem with that because they're like, how did he kill him? At the same time, reading his mind, like Snoke should be able to know that he was going to kill him. But I think what people are missing is I think they kind of explain that it's not really so much that he's reading his mind, like seeing things, but reading his intentions, you know, the, the force 
users kind of get a sense of feelings and emotions. And Snoke kind of says it as he's reading it, you know, basically that he's going to ignite his lightsaber and kill his his true enemy. We just didn't expect that it was going to be Snoke. Personally, when I was in the theater watching this and I saw the lightsaber ignite through Snoke, I was like, uh-oh, okay, so he's... I figured Snoke is now going to pull it out of his side and he's going to be fine. Because, I mean, look at Snoke. He's been through some some rough patches, it seems, and he's still alive. I figured he's going to pull the lightsaber out and now everybody's going to fight. I was so surprised to see the lightsaber turn and Snoke just kind of fall down in half in the background. Very shocking. What did you think in this in the sequence, Hamish? I liked it because we're streamlining the other two... Uh, Empire and Return of Jedi, because I think it's good something to get that stuff out of the way, because it's antiquated, and we don't need it anymore. We're done with that. Because the thing is, I don't want to see another story where it's the same pattern again and again and again. And this is good for the fact that Kylo Ren just chose, like, new better than the Master. And that's what mm. is presented in the story. It's like, they grow beyond what we uh, what the, the Master is. And that's the thing. Snoke was doing his whole thing of going, I know exactly what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you don't. Do you? Because, yeah, it's like reading the mind and seeing he's going to ignite lightsaber, and he did ignite lightsaber. He was probably thinking of a lightsaber very, very hard in his mind. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever seen Scott Pilgrim, you remember that scene, anyone? Shout out to my Scott Pilgrim fans who uh, saw him fight the remember. vegan. Oh, come on, he, he was fighting the vegan who could read his mind, and he was thinking really, really hard about, you know, he gave him the coffee with, the, I think, 1% in it, whatever it is, uh, and, screwed, <laughs> and screwed him up. And he's thinking really, really hard about it. But then he was thinking. But then he said, "Like I knew you switched to cups." And he's like, "Maybe I was thinking about really hard about switching to cups." And they actually did switch cups, and then ruins them. It's great. It's a good sequence. Same thing. That's what it reminded me of. But it's more or less showing that Kylo Ren uh, and these antiquated ideas and these antiquated thoughts, where it's like, "Yeah, the ma- like, yeah, he's the master, like the emperor, and he'll do the same thing." And then we'll get this situation, and then we'll get this. That's the expectation of the audience. We didn't get that, even though you know Snoke got split in half, just like Darth Maul. And Darth Maul survived that because that's now canon. Because if you watch the Clone Wars series, he's alive, but yep, he actually got true. but he got killed later on in Rebels by um, Obi Wan Kenobi. You'll notice that the fight is done in the same sort of manner as the final fight with um, Kylo Ren and Luke Skywalker, and they do explain why the fight is a specific way because it makes sense because you're a master. No, I liked the sequence. I thought it was good. I liked how the guards actually jumped into revenge mode. You know, to really give us this really uh, juicy, interesting sequence with them working as a team. And you see that the fact that, you know, Kylo's actually trying to push away all this rubbish, you know, the past, and create something new. And they're working as a team. And you can see that they're, they're a good team. But Ray yeah. is like, no, I, I'm not going to join your side. But look, but, I've, but he's so frustrated. It seems that Kylo wants to make something new, but she doesn't want to, want to do that. She's still sticking with, you know, Jedi is a pretty good idea. But Kylo wants to try something new. Like you said, beautifully shot. Probably the best sequence in the entire movie as far as I'm concerned. Um, when Snoke pushes Ray over to kind of that, that lens to see the resistance getting picked off. That's very reminiscent of Jedi. Uh, and then uh, also another point is I've heard a lot of people theorize that the Praetorian Guard, those red royal guards, might be the other Knights of Ren. And we can see they're very skilled with their weapons as well. But there are too many of them. Yeah, I think there's like yeah. six Knights of Ren, but there's like eight dudes there. But that yeah. was one theory that I, I did hear. Just going back to, you know, to uh, Rose and Finn, DJ, they they dress up in Imperial uniforms and try to uh, infiltrate the uh, the First Order ship to get to that light speed tracker. Uh, at one point, uh, we see DJ use uh, Rose's necklace, the Hastian smelt that he was very interested in earlier. 
they kind of set up this scene where he wanted this necklace that meant so much to her. And uh, she was willing to give it up, you know, for the good of this resistance mission. And all he needed it for is to short out this little fuse box thing. He says it was, oh, it's, it's a good conductor and throws it back to her. So I thought they were really setting up a redemptive moment that might pay off later. And of course, it does not. So we get a scene with Finn and Rose and BB-8. They kind of put like a box over him. So he looked like a little, I don't know, like a mouse droid or a... You know, some sort of boxy droid. Yeah, I like how he walks into that. He, he drives into that dude who's walking by. It's, it's like that guy didn't ask for this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they're spotted by an evil BB-8. It's like BB-9E, something like that. Mm. Or E-9. So they make it to this tracker, but they're stopped. You know, they're, they're caught. And so the mission is pretty much a failure. Finn and Rose are brought in before all these troopers and uh, Captain Phasma brings out execution troopers. You know, it's looking very bleak for them. All right, so at the same time, the Resistance, their whole inner conflict is going on. We talked about the mutiny. This is when this takes place. Holdo does end up getting out of it. And uh, Leia, that was the big reveal. She was she had awakened from her coma, evidently. The scene you were talking about earlier, Hamish, where Luke was calling out to her through the Force. She hmm. awakens by saying, Luke... Yeah, she's largely in charge and shocks Poe. And then Poe seems kind of shocked that the plan is failing on um, the other end because he can hear Finn and Rose getting captured. And he's like, what? And he looks, yeah, yeah. he's pretty shocked that his, his little secret little plan didn't work. Now that uh, Poe is a little more manageable and unconscious, they put him on the ships and they, they do continue with Holdo's plan to flee. But Holdo says that she is going to stay on the Radis. She is going to stay straight. So they will chase her and the pods will go unnoticed uh, because they weren't really scanning for these these pods that's another point where we talked about maybe leia should have been the one to sacrifice herself at this point but i know again they were very stuck when it came to what happened to carrie fisher so i i can't nitpick too much about what they did with leia's character Go. my problem with this scott as far as the plot goes was once the First Order was able to see on their radar or whatever the evacuation ships that were fleeing from the capital resistance ship and started firing on them. Why didn't Holdo maneuver the capital ship in between the two to shield them and protect them from being destroyed? I think they were for a moment. Like, she had the ship that was in between them and it was actually shielding, but like the ultimate choice was like turning it around and firing into them. Because, you know, it's like. You, you either can be a shield, or you can actually literally use the spaceship as a projectile and destroy them. So it's like six of one, half dozen the other. What, what did you think of the look of that, that sequence where we actually saw the light speed jump used as a weapon for the first time? I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because it shows like, hey, this is what happens if you just fly into something. She smashed into one and then it splintered out. Yeah, I really liked it too. Yeah, be beautifully shot sequence. Uh, pretty amazing. You know, it's always nice when they show us a little something different. We certainly get a lot of that in this movie. This is a, a beautiful example of that. Before that happens, I, I think we should also mention this is where DJ kind of turns traitor. And uh, again, I thought he was going to have that redemptive moment. But no, he just kind of sold them out uh, with the knowledge that, you know, they were going to be escaping on these pods. And they had like some crates of something they were going to give to him. It's probably cheese. But Holdo slams into the ship, pretty much shearing it in half, taking out almost everybody. Finn and Rose wake up. Everything's burning around them. This is what we saw in the trailer. And Phasma confronts Finn and Rose. 
Uh, Rose fires on Phasma. We finally learn what that armor is for. It actually does deflect blasters, which is pretty nice. Uh, unfortunately, she's the only one with that armor. And we get the Finn and Phasma fight. But again, I, I just, I found this so underwhelming. Phasma was defeated so easily and so quickly and seemingly died. I, I can't imagine she's dead, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel the same way as you do, Scott. I mean, I don't want a 15-minute long fight like we got in Revenge of the Sith, <laughs> but uh, I do want something a little more powerful and meaningful than, you know, a quick fight. Looks like Finn's dead, but he fell onto one of those elevator platforms we've seen before in docking bays, and then he pops up and doesn't kill her, but gives her a pretty good whack breaks her helmet, we see her eye there, and then uh, her the floor falls away and she falls into a big ball of fire. Uh, we should uh, also mention, too, at the end of the fight between Kylo Ren and Rey, you know, when they, they kind of turn on each other, because we learn at the end their intentions are not quite the same. You know, he has big aspirations for ruling the galaxy. She feels as though he shouldn't uh, do this. And they kind of pull on the on Luke's lightsaber with the force on either end and explode the thing as it, uh, you know, breaks in half. It was kind of interesting. So powerful, these, this little kyber crystal inside the hilt that uh, it knocks them both backwards. Ray escapes, but we don't really see it, which is, is kind of strange. We don't need to see that because he's, he's unconscious after that thing and she escapes. We don't need to see that. It's kind of like needless. But he's unconscious for a while and she gets some time to escape and then calls Chewie and then they both get back onto the Falcon. That's what I think. We, we don't need we don't need to see that part of story of her going into a ship, getting into the ship, flying away. We just I needed take to it see it. it. Well, sorry, buddy. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm surprised. BBA pilots. Yeah. BBA pilots and ATSD. Yeah, but no, yes. like yes, yeah. But with the sequence of the Phasma, no, I liked it. I liked that he was fighting back, uh, Phasma. But um, what? Yeah, and you know, I'm, I know some people were like, oh, Phasma should have done some, some cool stuff and done this. It's like, cool. Um, Phasma had more screen time than Boba Fett, so enjoy that. Yeah, yeah that's true, in- isn't Enjoy it? that. Everyone's fan service of, Boba Fett's a great bounty hunter. You know, he's related to Jango Fett. It's like, cool. He died like a little <laughs> loser. He died like a little, little man who didn't know how to fly a jetpack. Enjoy. Wow. At least Phasma had some lines. Oh, wait, how many lines did, uh, Jango- did he have? Did, did Boba Fett have? Three? Did he have three lines? So, I don't need to know more about Phasma. I get it. And now he's, like, fighting back, and he gets to swat her down. And he gets to swat her down like Money McFly in Back to <laughs> the Future 2. Yes. That was great. I thought that was a good moment. Good setup. And even he goes, like, you know, when she does a whole scum thing, like, you're just scum. He's like, yeah, rebel scum. She even says he's a fault in the system. Yeah. Something along those lines. But, yeah, when we cut back to Kylo Ren, he's been unconscious for a, a little bit of time, obviously. And, you know, they broke up that uh, lightsaber. Like, you know, it is Christmas. It's like a party popper, like a cracker. So, you know, <laughs> there's a prize inside. It's called a kyber crystal. Yes. Which we learned a- from Rogue One, anyway. Yes. A- and we should mention uh, one more thing that we we kind of glossed over that's a, a big plot point here. Is that, uh, you know, Ray says that she sees Kylo's future in a, a turn to the light. He also says that he sees something in her. Uh, mentioning that he knows who her parents are. And we get this scene where he's like, you know, you know the truth yourself. You know it already. And for the audience, he just kind of says it, that, uh, you know, they were junk traders. They were drunkards. They they sold her for drinking money. Yeah. Again, another moment in this movie where people were furious. This is this is how I feel about this scene. I'll, I'll, I want to know what you guys feel. Okay, let's assume that that's true. 
again, this is Kylo Ren telling her, so who knows uh, what they'll do with this information, whether this is a lie or whatever. But let's just say that this is true. That doesn't bother me, and in fact, I think it's a positive thing that she comes from no special lineage. The problem I have is they set it up in the first movie like this is a big mystery. This is a big deal. Same thing with Snoke. Snoke's origins were going to be a big deal. And Ryan Johnson's script just kind of discarded it. I'd rather if they had to go back and rewrite this whole trilogy, Mm. let us know early because it's not a big deal. Don't pretend that it's going to be a big deal. Don't keep keep us hanging on on these mysteries that have zero payoff and just will just make everybody upset. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I think Ryan Johnson did a really interesting work because you have to look at the perspective of, of who knows. Who knows that her parents are, you know, drunkards? She knows and he knows. But the story of, you know, Ray is probably something like, wow, she's really powerful and she's really cool. And that's it. I mean, she knows for herself in this context and he knows, right? Everyone else will, will probably not see her like that. She's making a name for herself and becoming her own person and, you know, creating her own destiny. I mean, the choice at the moment is, you know, to learn more about the Jedi and the Force. But uh, I believe from, like, that bit of detail, I mean, we don't need to know. She did, like, the, like, even though her parents are drunkards and, you know, sold her off, it makes, I like it, it makes her character, it makes me like her character a lot more. Because, again, it's, this is more or less giving back the idea that the Force, from, remember, the whole Medichlorian thing, which drove people nuts... This is kind of giving it back to that wonder where anybody, anybody could have the Force, which is represented later on in the film. Which, you know, it's good. I think it's good. It's, it's literally bring it back. Or it could be that the Force has changed. Like, it's evolving and it's reaching out. And it's, you know, because there's no... Not many people controlling it anymore. Maybe it's reaching out and it's trying to integrate itself with the natural order of things, with people's lives. I was okay with her not being related to someone. Obviously, you don't have to be a Skywalker to be able to wield the Force. My only thing is, like you said, it was all hyped up. Who is this girl? She's someone important. The the one thing I think of that seems to not jive with this story, okay, her parents were nobodies. They were junk traders. They sold their daughter off for drinking money. They left Jakku on a pretty nice ship in her Force vision. That was a pretty nice ship leaving Jakku with her being left with Unker Plot. So that doesn't really make sense. Hopefully, like, you know, I'm holding out hope. There's, there's one small spark of hope as far as I'm concerned, is that uh, there's more to this. And the fact that J.J. Abrams is also closing this trilogy means that we might get some oh, retconning here about, uh, you know, what this information really is. So, you know, we'll see. But for now... I'm not going to get mad about it because, again, it's not done. The story isn't done. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, it, the story isn't finished. We're seeing the middle part of a, of a, another story. And the thing is, if they're still putting these movies together, it's not like the Marvel Phase 1, Phase 2 plan. I'll put it that way. There's no head writer in front of, in charge of all this who's coordinating and putting it all together. It should be like this, it should be like that. I mean, obviously, they'll change things on the fly. It's the same thing they did with the original trilogy. They changed this and that. I mean, you know, like, even though Snoke was killed... Who says they can't have a, like a Sith ghost, like a Force ghost, with um, or Jedi ghost? What do you want to call it? You know, he could come back as a ghost. Here's the other thing: they could also bring back uh, Darth Vader as a Force ghost. Do it a kind of because they also planned like in the Force Awakens, Darth Vader would turn in some sort of Force ghost thing, which would change forms between Anakin, Darth Vader, and his older forms. Mm-hmm. You know, it was an idea that they had, so maybe they'll bring it back. I mean, maybe Hayden, Hayden Christian will get a second chance. Well, maybe fourth, fourth chance and. 
I I am open to that. I'd like to see this whole culminate in the fact that, you know, Kylo Ren, who's been trying to escape the shadow of uh, his past, especially Darth Vader and all that stuff, what if he did, did come back to taunt him or tell him about the truth of what it means to be evil or anything like that? You know, we don't know. It's an intriguing idea, and I, I'm not totally opposed to it either. I think Hayden Christensen gets a bad rap. You know, Lucas, uh, you know, if we get a different director... Uh, we might get a different performance. So anyway, just going back to the story here, Finn and Rose find a shuttle. They escape with BB-8. They land on Crate, uh, just as uh, the, what's left of the Resistance finally makes it down to Crate. We learn that it's an old rebel base filled with old rebel ski speeders. And so Kylo Ren is woken up. Snoke is cut in half. He blames it on Rey. Hux assumes, well, I'm the new Supreme Leader, but a little bit of force squeezing uh, changes his mind. And uh, Kylo Ren now assumes the Supreme Leader role and uh, orders a ground force uh, to strike that rebel base on Crate, which has that large door. Just before the door closes, Finn and uh, Rose and BB-8, they all make it out. And uh, so now we get this battle. And uh, again, we saw this in the trailer. Very beautiful because they have those like stabilizing rods. So they're like, you know, almost drawing or painting red lines in the uh, the salt of the, uh, you know, the salt flats of Crate. So again, another just beautifully shot sequence. Mm. Um, we thought we we're going to get another Empire style fight. But it's not all about that. What happens next is the battering ram cannon is put in front instead. Instead of having all these walkers march to it, they're just going to use one big gun to blow open the door. Finn, you know, we learn a lot about his character development throughout the story. He decides, no, he's going to sacrifice himself and fly his ship directly into this gun. Mm. And I don't know about you guys, but he's getting closer and closer. The ship is getting hotter and breaking up. And he's getting so close that I'm like... Man, they're going to kill off Finn. You know, at this point, they threw away, seemingly, I should say, seemingly threw away Ray's lineage. They threw away Snoke. I'm not surprised if they're going to kill off Finn. Rose, of course, knocks him out of the way and nearly dies herself trying to save him and gives this uh, sappy speech about love. But mm. I was surprised. What, what did you guys think? Well, the thing is, I like the fact that this is, again, the turnabout for um, Poe Dameron, who, again... We get a mirrored image of him in that same situation where now he's kind of in charge and he's telling Finn, hey, don't do this. And Finn is not paying attention to him. And he's supposed to be in yeah. charge of Finn. And at the same time, Finn is he's, you know, a good friend of his. Yet Finn is doing, let's say, a heroic thing, which I'm assuming he thinks this is what you do as a hero. Go down, do this. And yeah, it would have stopped the cannon, but he would be dead. And he's, again, you're wasting soldiers. You're just wasting people, you know, throwing them throwing yourself into danger when there's an e there's an out. There's always another way. And that's the thing about it. That's why she gives her that speech where it's like you have to save the things you love. Because, again, that's that's what's happening. Like, the resistance is literally getting knocked off more and more. And every battle, it's always losing somebody. And so this is a kind of a turnabout of that where it's just like, no, we have to save people. If you can't win the fight, then try to escape. Keep people alive because you have to keep, again, the spark alive. But yeah, it's then, like, Poe realizes that Finn's doing exactly what he did, doing a boneheaded, cocky, heroic maneuver when you don't need to. And I, lo I love it. I think it's great. I, th I think it's a, it's a good thing. Especially, you know, the visual is fantastic and, you know, the red and the white. I mean, the white's all apparently sand. Evident by that soldier who just tastes Salt. the ground. Yeah, who just tastes Salt. the ground. Does he, does he do this often? Like, does he just taste the ground everywhere? He's like, guys, this, this is dirt. Yeah. Yeah, just for the sake of the audience, he decides to taste the... Oh, oh, it's salt. Yeah, but like, I like how Gareth Edwards, or the soldier Gareth Edwards, uh, looks at him kind of like, what are, what are you doing? 
Like, why are you, <laughs> why are you tasting the grad? Oh, by the way, uh, Gareth Edwards directed Rogue One. This is his uh, payback because he put Ryan Johnson in um, Rogue One as one of the uh, Imperial soldiers. Yeah, he gets a good juicy close-up, doesn't he? But his scene comes a little bit before uh, Edgar Wright's scene, who he plays one of the, I guess, you know, X-Wing pilots or bomber pilots uh, just in the background. But no, no I, I like the fact that, yeah, like they're really digging in and it's really becoming um, dire in this situation. But yeah, I like how like Poe is realizing that in a reflective way that, you know, his actions have consequences and he's, you know, slowly getting this, you know, reputation of, you know, that maybe the right thing to do is to leave the battle. If he can't win it, then don't try to play against the odds. And plus, again, no one told him the odds. Yeah? Yes. Yeah? yes. No, no, he didn't want to listen to the odds. He's doing a hand solo, but in reverse. Yeah, and, and Rose, you know, very sweet character, you know, but uh, she just, the whole sequence to Canto Bite, that whole mission, completely unnecessary. Now she knocks Finn out of the way, uh, leaving the base vulnerable. It's like, uh, you know. Anyway, it doesn't even matter this, because what happens next, as, as Leia realizes that the, the allies that they have in distant parts of the galaxy uh, refuse to answer the call, even you know, mentioning her by name, she feels as though the spark of the rebellion is now finally out. But who enters? Luke Skywalker with a haircut and a beard dying job. Uh, something was a little different, but it's Luke. And we mentioned it earlier when they showed Luke's X-Wing, there was a way for Luke to get off that island. The reason he's back there is because he had a chit-chat with uh, Yoda, his old master, who kind of convinced him that his way of thinking was kind of wrong. And he has to accept the here and now, rather than what he says was looking off into the distance. Which is an old trope, if you remember from the first, you know, Star Wars movie, with he's always looking off into the sun, looking for adventure, rather than being here and now. And, you know, it's good to see they actually use the puppet Yoda. Uh, and I liked how the fact that the conversation between those two seemed exactly on point, because it feels like exactly the same conversation we would have, and plus, you know, Yoda showing him up and still literally teaching him how to actually be a better Jedi. I like so um so luke shows up he's down on the battlefield everyone is surprised poe realizes no this is for a reason he's trying to create a diversion for us to escape of course the door is the only means of escape until the little crystal foxes run out and they realize oh no the the animals of course know the the other ways to naturally get in and out so they follow the foxes out the back so kylo of course just thinking with emotion fire every gun you have uh also oh, i skipped over another part too where the the millennium falcon comes in and uh helps try to take out some of the uh, the first order forces so ray and chewie are somewhere there they're just trying to to find the base so anyway kylo ren just you tell him fire every gun you have and it doesn't put a scratch on Luke, he ends up walking out of it. So Kylo Ren goes down there to confront him, you know, face to face. They have uh, a lightsaber duel and, you know, Luke is, is sorry about failing him, but it, it's too late. You know, Kylo Ren is just so consumed with anger and uh, tries to strike Luke down and he avoids, you know, the, the blows from the lightsaber until finally one goes right through him. And I thought for sure, well, this is where Luke gets killed. Uh, no. It goes right through him. Uh, the whole time, Luke has been a force projection. It's a, another thing I did not expect in this movie. I, I, I thought it was good for the fact that um, Kylo Ren is literally having a really bad day when it comes to trying to escape the past. Like, he sees... Like, as soon as he sees the Millennium Falcon, he says, like, blow that junk out of the sky. Which, again, it's his father's ship. And then he sees Luke. But, he's, but the thing about it, because he never, never could see Luke through the visions he was having with Rey... 
the version that he fights, and he just doesn't question it, is the version that he fights of Luke is like the most ultimate heroic version of Luke. He's even wearing the uh, black outfit from uh, Return of the Jedi. And like he's in, he's literally the most ultimate form of himself, and he doesn't question it. He goes to fight him, even though he broke that lightsaber in two. He doesn't even question it. You know, yeah, yeah. He just basically is so consumed with his rage and his, I guess, hate that he thinks this is, as face value, this is him. This is the real guy. He literally shows him up. Even though Kylo Ren has destroyed his master, he should be, like, you know, the, the top gun. He should be the, uh, you know, numero uno guy, right? But then, like, <laughs> when he shows up, he's in the ultimate form and he does this, and, you know, he just avoids all his blows. I mean, obviously, it's because, you know, so he doesn't know that he's a force projection. But also, at the same time, it's such this thing to show that even though you've killed Yamasa, you're still not good. You're still not great, and you're, you know, raging at me. Yeah, and he voids the shots until he allows him to get one on, then he realizes, oh, he's not here. Which is even worse, because that makes him look like a fool in front of his, you know, his men. You know, he, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't tell the difference between a real person and the false person before him. And, you know, he's just using it to, you know, stall for time, like in the beginning of the movie where, the, where you know, Poe Dameron's stalling for time so he could fire up his engines. Um, yeah, he's stalling the time to help people. He was there to help Leia and help everybody else and, you know, keep the rebellion going and also uh, inform him that, hey, uh, the Jedi thing, still around, all right, peace out. And he disappears. <laughs> and even before that, we had a very nice scene with uh, Luke and Leia, and, you know, and he sincerely apologizes to her, you know, and kisses her on the forehead. Very nice scene, especially now knowing, you know, that this is the last scene together between Mark Hamill and, and Carrie Fisher. A very nice scene, uh, regardless. So, yeah, so Luke disappears uh, at the same time. The Resistance makes it all the way to a pile of boulders that serves as the, the exit to the cave. Of course, the little crystal foxes can wriggle through the boulders, but the, uh, the members of the Resistance can't. But fortunately, Ray tracks them. They land the Millennium Falcon. And uh, a callback to what you said earlier in the film where, you know, uh, the, the Force is all about, you know, making people do what you want them to do and moving rocks. Well, here, here you go. And she even calls it out to herself, moving moving rocks. And amazing scene where Ray moves all the boulders and suspends them in midair and the resistance is able to escape. A very nice scene where they see Ray and how powerful she truly is for the very first time. Some some of them they are meeting for the first time, like Poe introduces himself. He's like, Oh yeah, that's right. They haven't met yet. Mm. But I like how he does when when he says like I'm Poe, she's like, uh wait, no, she says like, Oh, I'm Ray, and he's like, I know. Because, again, he's heard yes. about it. It's against the story. He's like, I've heard about you. I've heard about this person. They finally met. Yeah. That was completely unnecessary. They could have met at the base at the end of Force Awakens. <laughs> it's true. Did she Did she turn around five minutes after Starkiller base was destroyed and go look for Luke? Like, we didn't need to see that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, back on the Millennium Falcon, we see what's left of the Resistance. There's, like, nobody left. Gareth Edwards thing where he appears in the scene. Gareth Edwards also appeared in the cameo in Rogue One as the guy who pulls the lever to, you know, detach Princess Leia's ship. And he even said in the commentary, that's him, and it actually is him, he's playing that character. Which means his character's been survi he's surviving since the first few movies down to now, and he still looks like a pretty normal-looking dude. He hasn't aged at all. He's a robot. <laughs> that's funny. So... We get a scene on the Millennium Falcon, you know, what's left of them. Uh, Rose is alive. She's laying there on, a, you know, kind of a bed that's built into the side of the ship there. And Finn opens a drawer to put a blanket on her. But there are the Jedi books that were seemingly burned down inside of the tree on Octu. So what's what's left of the Jedi is still still there. You know, Rey preserved it. That, that's why it seems as though Yoda was so kind of jovial and 
you know, happy to burn everything down. Sure, let the past burn. He probably knew that Ray had taken the books. He might have directed her to, who knows? But from here, we cut to Octu, where Luke uh, crawls off of that meditation rock. He looks at the, the two sons, uh, of course, a callback to A New Hope, and uh, fades away. His robe just kind of blows in the wind. And, uh, yeah, evidently a force projection across the galaxy. It would burn a lot of calories, I guess, and that's enough to uh, end his life. I do question how the force projection of those dice lasted <laughs> after he died. Yes. Well, I guess he was... You know, he became a Force ghost, so he maintained that long enough for Kylo to see it. It was like a residual effect. But our movie doesn't end there. We do do get one final sequence. Uh, I don't know. This is weird. We go back to Canto Bight, of all places. The, The children are playing with their toys, telling tales of Luke Skywalker, and they're ordered back to work once they're caught. And uh, we see a young boy that we saw earlier, the one that Rose showed the ring to. He uses the force very subtly to call a broom to his hand and starts to sweep the floor of the stables. He, he looks up at a shooting star and we cut to his hand where we see that he had actually stolen it off of Rose's finger when she wasn't looking. I think she gave uh, it to him. <laughs> but it bears the logo of the resistance. And uh, that's how we end the film. Shocking. I was thinking about <laughs> what? not 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 that ending, but just overall yeah. at this point, I'm just thinking the final battle against Snoke, Snoke's death, uh, the reveal of Ray. I just felt as though this was like the end of the trilogy. It almost felt like the end of the trilogy. If it wasn't for the one thing that we have is Kylo Ren. I mean, he's the I'm guessing he's just the big bad guy of the third movie, right? Th- this movie had such the feel of finality. Luke finally fading away. It, it's just, it seemed so final to me. I'm just so curious about where it's going to go from here. What did you guys think? I mean, I understand what they were doing with the end. Some people think that this is mini teaser for Ryan Johnson's trilogy and that this character is going to be a part of it. And I'm just hoping that we don't see another child actor play a major role in Star Wars because it didn't go so well the first time. So I don't know if, if this is going to be one of the kids that Ray trains uh, in the future, or, you know, it's just their way of showing that there is still hope in the galaxy. There are still force wielders. This is a never-ending cycle. It was a weird way to end the movie for me. Oh, I liked how it ended. Uh, more or less, again, it's giving the idea that the force is out there and people have it in their lives, but they don't know what it is. Um, and that's what I think is the, the best part. Again, it's giving it back to the people. It's showing you that, you know, there are, the force is out there. It's, you don't have to be a Jedi. You don't have to be a Sith, whatever. You might just have it, and it's part of your life. I like the ending just because, again, it goes back to the kids, and they're telling the story of Luke Skywalker in the last battle we just saw. So we don't know how long, you know, what time difference this is beyond the stories getting out there and just, you know, permeating through word of mouth. But no, I, I, I liked it. I liked that the fact that, you know, we have this... I mean, even I mean, it's the end of a movie. Obviously, it's going to feel like the final end of a movie. But I like that they're changing everything, and it's setting up some new things that we can enjoy. Uh, I mean, this movie is, you know, split a lot of people you know, in the middle, but, you know, I think it's time to move away from the antiquated thought of what you think Star Wars is and let people create new Star Wars. I mean, for instance, when they made the video game Force Unleashed, that was a wildly crazy game. But it took place in an alternative future, and, you know, they made two of those games, so, you know, it must have been successful in some way. But um, people want something new, and I think that's that's 
what a lot of people are kind of, I'd say, in certain ways afraid of, because they're afraid of seeing their characters act different to the way they believe in their own, you know, thought and their own imagination. But the thing is, it's like, well, a lot of things change in your life, and you have to kind of deal with it. I mean, you know, good or bad, it's it's the way things are, and you have no control over it. And that's it. It's always evolution. That's what you have to have in Star Wars. You have to evolve, and you have to change things. You have to sweep away the cobwebs and, you know, turn the light into another direction and see what you can find. This is what I'll say. You know, The Last Jedi is messy. Uh, The characters were written in unexpected ways. The story defied our expectations and maybe in a way that we're not happy with initially. You know, big franchises, they often make missteps. But with future installments, they can sometimes provide some course correction. And also time and proper context of what we see can uh, steer that ship straight again. I just look at The Last Jedi as one issue in a comic book series. It's only one episode in the saga. And even if, okay, everything that you're disappointed with is now canon, I mean, canon is just this continuity construct. It only exists in your mind uh, it's only there so all of the moving parts can make sense. And just because something doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't even have to be in your canon. You don't have, even have to think that way. And believe me, as an X-Men fan, you have to do that a lot, especially when the movies came out. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I'm very conflicted about this movie personally. I think Ryan Johnson, the director, did an incredible job with what he was given by Ryan Johnson, the writer. Th- those, those two separate guys. Well, what 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 I th- what I think is that uh, Ryan Johnson from the future gave him the script because you know Ryan Johnson knows a thing or two about it because I loved Looper. I thought Looper was fantastic. <laughs> Overall, guys, what number would you rank the Last Jedi amongst all the uh, Star Wars movies? Me personally, uh, I think it's I I think it's going to be tied for fifth or maybe even sixth. I, I don't know if I can put it ahead of Force Awakens yet. I put it at fifth. First is the original trilogy for me. Then Rogue One, just because it felt like Star Wars. It was a Star Wars movie. Yeah. I did like this more than Force Awakens. Force Awakens was too predictable. The plot line was something we'd seen before, and I didn't care for the dialogue. I thought it was kind of mediocre. But my problems with this, although I was pretty negative in the whole review, like, they were all rather minor things. Um, I liked that it was unpredictable. And it had more moments that I will watch over and over again when I own the digital copy. Yeah, same here. Hamish, where would you place this amongst the other movies? I I don't do the ranking system. <laughs> That's the thing. Because it's like, you know, at different times I want to watch different movies and I have different, you know, love for movies, you know. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll change my bracket. I'll change this, uh, my ideas. Um, as a movie, I liked it. I liked the complexity. I liked that there was a lot more going on for it. And I think for Star Wars, I think it's what it needed. It needed a new gloss of new color, new shapes, new things. I mean, the other thing I, uh, that I don't like ranking is for the fact that this movie is is far, far away from the original trilogy. Filmmaking mm-hmm. has changed, techniques have changed, and also audience expectations have changed. You know, Star Wars is a bigger franchise now. It has a lot more going on for it. There's many video games. There's a lot of people who are passionate about it very violently, which is, you know, good. It means that you're doing something interesting. Uh, and if you have a lot of people who are, you know, complaining about it, that means you're on a, you know, a new level of thinking and people don't like it. But who, who cares? Keep following the your own steam, following your own idea. Go ahead. No matter what. Um, okay. Because that's how the original Star Wars happened. They 
didn't know if it was going to be successful. They didn't know if it was going to be a good film. They even got the toys screwed up. And so I was like, uh, it's a space movie. You know, it's like when you read about Alec Guinness, who was basically not really into Star Wars. He wasn't treating it with prestige, we'll say. You know, it's just like they had to make something. And then a lot of other movies have now been trying to do Star Wars for years. They've been trying to create their own Star Wars. You know, a lot of people are inspired by the original Star Wars. I mean, now Star Wars itself is back trying to be Star Wars, trying to be a new version of itself, you know? Because that's what happened. Star Wars originally came out, and it wasn't New Hope, it was called Star Wars. Um, and then a lot of people started trying to copy that format, trying to copy the idea, get a piece of that idea, you know, because they knew they are onto something. Uh, and that's what they're trying now. They're trying something different, rather than being the same old repetitive story you've seen before, you know, trying to be comforting to a same format in which you think but no movies have changed they've evolved they've become different and we want more villains with more color and more death more shape i mean if you don't have that then you're just making a fast and furious movie so hamish has the movie ranked uh, the same as phantom menace okay so i'll write that down <laughs> Oh, no, no, I just treat them all like separate trilogies. Like, you know, I like the original trilogy. Uh, like, original trilogy is high. That's a, this new half trilogy we've got so far is is reaching up there. And then, you know, the prequel trilogy is there, even though, you know, it's it's basically just filler for stuff that we already, already knew. That's fair. All right, so that'll pretty much do it with this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, uh, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, you guys, do you have anything you want to plug? Nope. Uh, I can, oh yeah, sure. Hey, if you want to find me on the internet, that's the thing. Uh, I'm really saying it really fast. But uh, go to Twitter, Silent Hamish, Instagram, Silent Hamish. Uh, I have a Facebook page, which is called Silent Hamish Art. I should really put some stuff on there. Haven't done that, but yeah, you know, it took a while to get another Star Wars movie, so yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just following that pattern. Yeah, you know, just wait 30 years. Uh, and um, if you want to see some interesting Star Wars dubs, look up Oral Norts on um, YouTube. They make some really interesting um, Star Wars dubs. They dubbed the original trilogy. Part of the original trilogy, and they've done... Uh, they've made the uh, prequels bearable to watch with their own spin on it. Okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends, and Instagram, MC underscore and underscore Friends. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out, and if you do, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Uh, for Android users, you can stream and download us on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio, the Google Play Music app, and you can check us out on those platforms. Uh, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio channel, set Hitting Play as a favorite, and stream the episodes right through your television as they are released. Well, we have been Paul, Hamish, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. And I guess may the force be with you as well. Yeah? Alright, they'll, they'll just huh? be here. <laughs> just hanging out.